Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Line of Succession. I am your host, Lee. I am here. I am joined by my co-host, Mitzer. Spencer, how are you? Here for you, man. <clears throat> Very much here for you. I'm here to support you. I'm here to care for you. And with respect to an episode that I feel like was almost purposely designed to trigger you, how are you doing? Yeah, I felt like it was... you. Yeah, I mean, I have a bad tendency to think the world revolves around me like most good egotistical people. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, I, uh, <laughs> I feel like this episode was made for, I feel like this episode was made for me. You know, I almost feel like, uh, the writers were listening to us because there's been a couple times this season where I've said something like kind of pointed about Fox News and you've kind of been like, Hey, hey, let's not like alienate half our listeners or, or whatever, whatever you said. Yes. And, and I was like, Hey, shut up. Like I could say whatever I want. Um, I don't think we have a choice now. I don't think, I think the show's painted us in a corner. I think if people are offended by hearing that Fox News might not be the best thing for America, then uh, this, I don't, take it up with succession, not us. Yeah, talk to the show because that's clearly what the show's trying to say. Um, so yeah, here on Line of Succession, we will cover season four, episode eight, America Decides in all of its glory. I will, Run through a recap, recap, beat by beat. We'll talk about everything that happened in the episode. Spencer will chime in <gasps> with probably a lot of emotional, uh, emotional stories about his personal life and things that mm-hmm, he's experienced mm-hmm. in prior Always. American elections, which will probably be a lot of fun to listen to. We'll award line of succession, which would be the best line of dialogue in the entire episode. We'll go to Roy of the episode. And typically what we, we award best Roy, the Roy that won the episode and worst Roy, the Roy that lost the episode. I would like to propose something new on this segment for you. Are you ready for it? Go on. I refuse to award a Roy best Roy. Of the week. <laughs> we are only going to do the Roy that lost. No Roy won this week. I feel very confident in saying that. Um, pure, just to offer it pure episode. Roman came out ahead. It's just the way by which he did. So is abominable. I mean, if you want to like, yeah, if you want to get brutal capitalist with it, then maybe, maybe, maybe we can, we can do that. But I, I don't think any of the Roy's came out looking particularly well this episode. And then we will jump to Spencer's relationship advice of the episode for Spencer. Based on the events of the episode, will give us all some sage advice in the way of all of our relationships. Okay, Spencer. I had a question for you just generally before we jump into the recap. Please. What did you, what did, last episode we both agreed were probably, was probably one of the better episodes of succession we'd ever seen. We thought it was a really, Super good quality hour of television. Did you feel like the quality, let, let's forget the content right now. Do you think the quality was up to last week? I, I think week? it was, I think it was almost even parallel to the episode where Logan died and it almost had a similar feel to it of where I was constantly on the edge of my seat. My pulse was racing. I was engaged in a way that even surprised me. It, I, this was top tier succession quality in my mind. There was one scene that had just random comedy that I thought very much just broke the tone and the flow. Which we'll get to. Oh, I wonder what you could be talking about as I drink my lacroix. <laughs> that one scene I felt was just incongruous and otherwise just very consistently paced and consistently structured episode. Other than that, I thought it was stellar and top tier succession. How about you? I thought it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, succession tackles election night and it's everything I could have hoped for. And mm-hmm. what a, there's a, there's mm-hmm. one specific sequence that I feel like you could share in like not even 100 level, maybe like 200 level poli sci classes in universities of this country because of how it tracks how these, how these things are thought about and how networks frame things. 
And it was just, it was about a five minute segment. I've got it all bolded in my notes, so I'll be able to talk about it. But I just think there was some really insightful stuff in here. Now, some of it was, was beat you over the head with a frying pan. I mean, they sure. don't, they're not hiding the fact that they think that Fox News is bad for this country. Yeah. Corporate control of media and influence on elections is a bad thing. The show but, adheres to that. But not just that. Don't give them that out because it's not just. Not just. It's not just every news outlet because that's the, that's one thing people do is they'll go, oh, yeah, I know Fox News is bad, but so is CNN and so is – that's not what this show is saying. This show is saying very – there's a very specific type of conservative media that's insidious and bad for this country. That's what the show is talking about in my personal opinion. And that's how we're going to have to talk about it because they, they're, they're, they, they don't talk about where PGN screws something up. They don't talk about the, you know, they don't show you behind the curtain of PGN and show you that it's just as bad. That's not the point they're making. Their point they're making is this brand of conservative media, especially when you hear Ravenhead going and doing his Tucker Carlson impression. That's the message I think that the show's trying to give us. I mean, oh, show- oh, oh, also, let me add it in this, that all the characters are fucking shit and you should yes. root for any of them. So if it, we were rooting for any of them, then we're the suckers, I think. Yeah, every single one of them effectively turn their back on probably what was better for America for the sake of their own personal advancement. Some of them were more conflicted about it than others, but every single one of them made that call in the moment when push came to shove. But the show's always offered cultural commentary. It's always been a key theme of the show about going with the toxicity of, we- of, of inherited wealth and the effect it has on children, on generations, and the cyclical nature, nature of it. The show hasn't always been like immediately topical, though. This episode felt really topical with the Dominion settlement just coming uh, about, out. And, about seven years ago, topical. We just got the Dominion settlement. We just found out about all the things that were going on with respect to behind the that, scenes that, at Fox News that, with respect to that's it. That's true. It's also, yeah, the, that's, that's a good point. Moore v. Harper is a decision presently pending before the Supreme Court, which would be imminently influential in terms of how the election plays out in the world of succession. We'll get to that eventually. It's like... This is an episode that is talking about present times and the present world in a way that the show has previously always had in the background, but this one, it's front and center. And I can get why that would rub some people the wrong way, feeling like they're getting beat over the head. But with a show this well-written, it's still as imminently absorbable. I honestly think they have been commenting on the state of business in this country and how... I guess I guess it's a, it's a trite phrase, but like high level business is done in this country, and how it's considered, and how the shareholders are often just not even remotely considered, and like mm-hmm. the fact that people's pensions are caught up in this shit, nobody gives a fuck about, and like how these deals are actually done. Like I feel like that's that stuff has always been commented on, and it is a very relevant topic in America. I just think it like flies over our heads myself included like it's not relevant to my life Mm -hmm. but this feels relevant because everybody votes and everybody has a rooting interest on one side or the other right unless you're unless you're a con head then it's the third side then it's the third side (laughs) we we got to see a handful of people influence the world that we all live in in a way that they can do on a whim and seemingly think it doesn't affect them but for us will drastically alter our day-to-day lives i'll say this about how we're going to cover this so I would say this is maybe something to people listening and do what you want to do. I mean, who, who cares? But it, sometimes in order to talk about these things, you have to talk about groups of people. You have to sure. say people who watch this, people who work here, people who like that, who vote for whatever. 
that doesn't mean you're talking about every single person who is ever fit into that group, it's right? And I think I think that a lot of people have a tendency to hear something like a Trump when you they hear Trump voter or Fox News listener or, or whatever and go, oh, well, I'm one of the they must be talking about me instead of maybe backing up and going, well, you know, just just like the lesson I have to have, which is the world doesn't revolve around me. Maybe, maybe <laughs> mine every talking, week. Maybe these two podcast hosts aren't specifically talking about you, and we're trying to make a broader point about the trends that we see with sure. those groupings, right? And I think that like if people can do that, then maybe they'll get through get through this episode, even if they're not like a ardent Bernie guy, right? Because I think the Bernie people are are all good with this episode, no problem. <laughs> No problem. <laughs> this it's, is every presumption they ever had. Right. They feel good. I don't think we're going to offend them. It's the, it's, it's the other side that might get slightly offended in the coverage of this episode. And if, if possible, maybe not internalizing everything and thinking, oh, well, so-and-so said this and, and, and I'm a Trump voter, so it's about me. Um, you know, cause we're not, we're not trying to do that. We're trying to talk about broad, no, 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 no. the show's trying to do that as well. They're trying to talk about broader yeah. trends within the electorate and groupings of people. Yeah, and if, if you guys think that for any way we go across a line or we offend you or hurt you with respect to it, please let us know. We appreciate if you're polite when you express such, but it's all part of a conversation. Isn't it wonderful how he throws that out there, but he won't please. read a single one of those things? Please, please loves please to read on. every if, single if, one of those comments. Just give him more. If, yeah, and he if, will curtail and let me know about 10% of them, and I'm sure they're all lovely. Isn't that wonderful? Hey, if you don't like it and you really got a bone to pick, make sure you reach out and tell us. Uh, hey! I, I, I'm uploading Lee's private email address and cell phone number. He Just doesn't let even, him know. He doesn't even know how to check the messages. And he's telling you, hey, bring him, bring it on, bring it I'm on. I'm assuming that owls bring them. That's about all I know about it. <laughs> owls, that's right, right before our semester at Hogwarts. All right, let's jump into the recap here before we get too silly. We start, this is the, the recap of the previous episode. Uh, to bring us up to speed, we start with Rava telling Kendall, his kid, got into the Got into it with the Ravenhead shirt guy. Shiv mm-hmm. playing all. We have the Shiv playing all sides montage. Kendall trying to work with the Democrats. Connor not dropping out. We get this quote for the good of the Republic, which gets a laugh. Very apropos <laughs> for this episode, uh, especially the laugh afterwards. Madison's subscriber number issues. Tom and Shiv's fight. I think you are incapable of love, and I think maybe you are not a good person to have children. Episode start. So, and as we love to do on Succession, again, it's another day and we're just following him for like a seven hour period. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it, I think that's what we're going to get this episode or this season, right? Yeah. We're getting 10 days because clearly the next episode is going to be the funeral, right? Yeah. So we'll get the funeral day. Um, so this is election day. So we start with ATN news. Makes sense. Election. It's uh, five o'clock coming up. 5 p.m. Spencer, what do you do on election day? Do you have any election day, uh, traditions? Anything uh, that you, you do specifically? You, usual traditions. Our entire friend group goes on Zoom or Skype and clusters together and just watches the results come down. That's been tradition for the last, I don't even know how many election cycles at this point. Yeah. I think we've done it. For every election, at least since 2016, but I think maybe, maybe we, did, we did it. We did smaller groups well before then, too. Maybe we did it for 2012, 2014. I, um, I, I usually just panic all day and I'm just nervously <laughs> checking, checking, uh, po- exit polling data and Twitter and everything mm-hmm. I can find. It's the one day you religiously consume 538. People just nonstop be sending out polls from them. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I do get kind of on tilt right before the election. I'm gonna, you know, what I'm gonna try to do this year though is I'm gonna try to like shorten the period that I freak out 
because like in 2016, I, fr- I freaked out for about 18 months. Mm-hmm. And then in 2020, it was about maybe six months. I think if I can get it down to about two weeks, that might be in the margin you of healthy. You are pushing yourself too hard, sir. At least give yourself two months. It would be in the margin of healthy, right? If I can just free, if I freak out for two weeks, that's like what median in America. I, that's about what the average person I, does. I'm worried though. You're just concentrating it into a narrower, narrower period. It's like putting a lid on an already explosive pot. You gotta let it breathe a little bit over time. Oh uh, yeah, that's true. It's gonna have to be less intense if I'm if I'm shortening it. So Tom is trying to hydrate. It's 5 p.m. Tom says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all good." Greg, considering it's my first post Logan election and I've got Sid running around town spitting poison like a King Cobra with an iPhone. So I guess Sid Sid got fired, right? Is that right? I'm guessing she's not here. No one's talking about her. It seems like she was fired or let go pursuant to orders from on high. I mean, that's what basically Tom asked Shiv for and Shiv offered to give him. So it seems like they made that happen. And now she's just, you know, pissing in his ear from a distance. I've got PGN still time. I've got PGN to the left of me. Ha ha. Um, FVA. I think that's mm-hmm. like the OAN equivalent, right? Yeah. Um, the way, uh, yeah, FVA to the right. Um, I got to deliver the best election numbers ever because my bosses want to rip my heart out as a peace offering to all comers. So no, Greg, I'm a little bit tense, just a little bit tense. So right away we get that his motivation is numbers viewers how many viewers can we get it's not get it right it's not make the right calls none of that comes out of his mouth it's i have to deliver the biggest numbers tonight so that then he's in control of everything ostensibly right his his decision is law to the point that it comes back to blow up in his face later with respect to how they handle the coverage of this he tries to put it on other people but he's the ultimate one that's supposed to pull the lever in any given moment our guy greg is feeling good pretty good (laughs) only two more only two more of these we only get to do that two more times do we know what greg's official title is because we we get to hear he's been a little bit promoted away from coffee boy at this point swiss fucking army knife is what he is eye doctor he's all good the roving linebacker of the atn floor uh we start with kendall looking out of windows now here's the thing about kendall and i will try to call it out every single time i see it this episode i think my podcast co-host called this correct. I think, Spencer, you're 100% right that this will end with Kendall in control but alone. And I think they're giving us ample, ample hints to that effect this episode and how they choreographed it and how they shot it. How many times do we see Kendall either alone or alone in a room of other people, if that makes sense? Everything he's in. Thinking. By himself, he seems more alone this episode than we've ever seen him, and he's more in control than we've ever seen him. We, we've talked about Kendall. I mean, I'm 100% with you. I think the episode is very much emphasizing those themes. In terms of the general trend as well, we've talked about Ken, it go, Ken, uh, Ken goes between manic and depressive episodes. You think that he's in a, in a little bit more of a depressive phase for most of this episode in terms of, like, just... The the normal the normal kin energy from well not even normal but the kin energy we've been seeing from several episodes before is completely abs- absent this episode for varying reasons but it's notable. Yeah, I I just think that they were giving us so many hints that he's more and more alone the mm-hmm. more and more mm-hmm. more Eternal and more and power social. he gets. Yeah. yeah, more more power he gets. Right? So, um, he says, uh, first Super Bowl. How are we going to cop without the king? Cope without the king. Um, Tom gets a, a cop actually is a, how are we going to cop without the king is maybe something that Greg would be asking, uh, in doing his, his bidding for Tom, which we'll mm-hmm. see a little bit later. Tom gets off the phone quick. Tom asks for an update. He hears things are looking 
fighty in Milwaukee. Remember that line? Tom Masker, um, he's talking to a lady named Pam here who we see regularly. I think Pam is the sort of lead producer for the night. Yeah, like Pam, Pam and what's the other guy's name? Darwin we run into at some point or something like that? Yeah, well, Darwin is, I think, a, a avatar of – and we maybe you can look this up at some point if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. The head guy, the head election guy at Fox News. Yes. So this is the guy who made the Arizona call famously in the 2020 election. If you don't, if you don't follow this stuff as closely as I do, God bless you. Please keep doing that and living your life peacefully and happily. But in 2020. Um, Arizona suddenly became a battleground state. It had been red for, I think, every election it's, it's since 1996, I believe. And Fox News famously called it for Biden way before any other network did. And people look at that and go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Fox News obviously slants right. Why would they want to do that? It's because they had a guy who was in control of their election night coverage who he – Negotiated in order to work for Fox News, he negotiated and he makes the final call. Mm-hmm. And it upset people. It upset people so bad. Rupert Murdoch got on the phone and was calling them, trying to get them to rescind the Arizona call. That's how how big this thing got. The guy would never do it. He ended up being right. Biden won Arizona. Go ahead, Spencer. Uh, for the us. guy's name is, and he uh, he is the Fox News decision desk director, which I even think they refer to Darwin as that that is that position in episode. Uh, is Arnon Mish- is Arnon Mishkin. Um, there you go. That's the guy. And he truly is a professional. He truly is a guy who just wants to get it right. He's a statistician, I think, by trade. And it often, as you would imagine, conflicts with how Fox News is run and their opinion desk in the sure. whole thing. Right? Um, so this lady, Pam, uh, Tom asked her if they should – Put on air the viral thing about the woman who voted like 40 times for Jimenez, right? Mm-hmm. Under her dead mom's name. The person Tom is talking to, Pam, says they tracked her down. She's not a well person. No need to put them on. It seems like Pam has a certain degree of integrity that, that, that oh, Tom yeah. lacks with respect to this. That she's actually trying to be a journalist about this. You know, rightward bend, whatever else. Tom, just about numbers. Give me, give, give me, give me fresh meat that I can throw our actual audience at any given moment. I feel like they scalped Darwin from 538, and I feel like they scalped, they scalped Pam from uh, Wall Street Journal. Mm. Right? She's just a she's a journalist by trade. She might be a little conservative, but she's trying to get the news right. Right? Sure. And um, Tom uh, astutely explains to her that she's not a doctor, and until she qualifies <laughs> with one, why don't you get her on the air? <laughs> um, I, I can vet whether a person will be good on the air, Tom. That's part of my job as a journalist. Pam comments on Tom's shoes, talks about how Sid used to wear slip-ons. Tom says that's because she couldn't get her cloven hooves into regular shoes. So he's still taking shots at Sid, All uh, even though Sid's gone. Tom tells her he has great arches. You know, Spencer, they're being remarked upon, his arches. Defensive about them arches he is. They're getting exit polls. Now, here's the exit polls. This exit poll sequence is really important. And because, I, again, I follow stuff too closely, let me try to explain it to people who Please. don't. So – Exit polls are polls that are taken and networks do these polls. They take people with clipboards. They put them outside of polling stations and they're very strategic about which polling stations they put them out out front of because they're trying to get a representative sample in order to give them an idea of how specific areas, districts, states, subsequently the nation voted in an election, right? But they have a journalistic duty 
to not release the exit polls before polls close. Because it can Why? influence For, people. <laughs> yeah, because it could influence people to repress the vote or go get out the vote, right? So they don't do that. They don't release them before polls close. However, sometimes it leaks. I'll give you an example. In 2004... Uh, George W. Bush was running for re-election against John Kerry, and it was thought for weeks up leading up to that election that George W. Bush would win. I mean, he'd had a high approval rate. He had noticed 9-11. People liked him. And the exit polls were telling the networks that Kerry was going to win. And it that got leaked to the point that it got back to the White House, and George W. Bush had to pull his people together and say, hey, guys – we're not going to fucking fall apart here, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we lose, we lose, but I can't have people panicking. That's how, in, that's how known it had gotten in the West Wing, right? So these, these exit polls are important. They do get, sometimes give a pretty good indication of what happened in the election. <laughs> not and, that year. <laughs> and the, well, I think what ended up happening is, um, a trend that we're seeing more and more, which is, um, uh, conservatives are voting when they get off work. Um, yeah. So it's a lot of people, the conservative vote tends to pile up between 4 and 8 p.m. Yeah. Democrats vote early, either vote early or they vote absentee and conservatives vote on the day of after work. Exactly. Um, so, cause the exit polls actually weren't that far off in that election. It's just the early exit poll data we're supposed sure. to carry. Um, so yeah. I, and I think that this, the exit polls getting leaked is a real thing, and that's why they, they talk about it here, right? So this is what's happening when Darwin pulls everybody into a room and he's giving them the, quote, terms and conditions. Greg and Tom talk to each other while Greg is talking, because, of course, Greg and Tom aren't going to take this very seriously. No, no. Of course they're not. Greg asks Tom if he got any rest. No, no way. Marital strife. So it's funny how he talks to him, right? It's like, mm-hmm. And sometimes he's like a... They're bu- they are a category of buddies. It's weird buddies, but they are buddies. Yeah. Meanwhile, Greg says his night out with Matson was pretty monstrous. His crew knows some unseemly venues. I danced with an old man. What? He didn't want to dance, but they made us dance. <laughs> he was confused. <laughs> now, Spencer, I'm going to say this line and you tell me what you think it means. I drank things that aren't normally drinks. Uh, I'm betting either urine or blood. Some bodily fluid. No. He's, he's saying that they mixed cocaine in their drinks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I got the impression, do you know about Madsen with Shiv and their sort of their business alliance agreement? Now, this is super important because Madsen getting fucked up with Greg because he likes Greg. We established that at the end of last episode. This also confirms our theory we had earlier that Madsen wasn't playing Shiv or setting any false narrative about the blood or anything. The guy just talks when he's high. Yeah. He just gets, he's like a, he's such an everyman. He just gets fucked up and says stuff he shouldn't say. <laughs> That billionaire Nordic Nordic tech guy, such an everyman. Just like us. But the important thing here is that he's blabbed to Greg that he has this alliance with Shiv, which is uh, would be, as we see later, very problematic to Shiv if the information got out. Mm-hmm. Tom gets quiet, says, "Well, I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about." Greg says, "Okay, I, d- I didn't, I didn't think so. You, you want to strategize? You want to fry her ass up?" It, this is this is a notable difference when I think it was either season one or season two when Greg tried to tell Tom that Shiv had had an affair and Tom just beat, kicked Greg's ass. Greg has learned he's not going to push it. He's like, I know bad information about something I think Shiv's doing. Tom says, I don't want to talk about it. And Greg just goes, okay, moving on. I know you'll try to kick my ass if I keep going. Well, it, that's, a, that's a good callback. But he did say, do you want to fry her ass up? Yeah. Um, and Tom goes, information's like a bottle of fine wine. You store it, you hoard it, you save it for a special occasion, then you smash someone's fucking face in with it. Whew. All right, Tom. Then we hear that uh, 
Minken may be overperforming in Georgia and Arizona. I don't know what that sounds like. Georgia and Arizona, interesting they picked these two states. These are two states that were won in 2020 by Joe Biden, that were won by Republicans in every presidential year previous to 1996. So in 2000, 2004, 2008, 2016, mm-hmm. and 12. Uh, all of those years, Georgia and Arizona went Republican. Uh, closer than polls have suggested Close, but Jimenez likely edging. Now, this is uh, Darwin, who is the, the guy you can trust in mm-hmm. all this. Now, when he says Jimenez is likely edging, uh, edging it out, Ravenhead throws in a boo. Um, and then he says this. Leaks that suppress or encourage turnout could result in our ejection from the national election pool. Tom gives a token zip. It says, Spencer, here is my prediction here because we're covering an election episode so i'd have to do some prognostication i think that this is the line that's a little bit of a hint i think that for what they did this this night and what shiv is going to blab mm-hmm. um they are going to get thrown out of it, the national election poll it, there's a debate that, that they have throughout this episode is that what would dad do i fully believe that logan would put his thumb on the scale to influence things but the thing they always just seem to not understand about their dad was is that he worked like a mafia boss he was good at insulating himself and making it look like he was never the one that was making the decision, that he kept those Geneva Conventions not for the sake of actually wanting to be removed from the position of power, but wanting to have the illusion that the he was. Of it. Yeah, it's like the the thing with Carrie, remember? When he was like, I'm not in it. I'm not touching it. Mm-hmm. Like Carrie's audition tape, right? I think it's the same sort of concept. Yeah, I, I completely I, agree. None I, of the I think kids they're gonna, get that, though. I think they're going to get tossed from the next national election pool over this because what Shiv can now tell – Anybody who, with a microphone is ATN made a call because of their own personal business interest of Waystar Royco. Uh, she can draw a direct line to the sale of Matson. Against, against their existing policy about maintaining, you know, a line of demarcation separating them from the floor and against the specific advice and directions of their decision desk director. That's going to look horrible for me. It's like, Roman's at the top, feels like he's at the top of this game, this episode. Guy's going to crash and burn next episode once this all gets out. I think it's, it'll be right after, it'll be toward the end of the next episode. I completely agree. Cause Shiv will blab this because now she's, she's just, she's a viper backed in a corner. She has no choice but to bite at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think she's, she's going to blab she's it and make him tell. give him the straight and, up and, offer. And by the way, they are doing all of this, making this bunk call after the burnt ballots in Milwaukee based on their own personal business interest in Waystar Royco and a potential sale with Matson, because they don't want the sale to go through, which is against the best interest of the shareholders. So now you have an FEC issue. It, 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 I still don't even know how to process the idea that they're doing this also because Minkin specifically mm-hmm. gave them an offer to make that happen. What kind of – there's so many different layers to this corrupt bargain. Yeah, Minkin will probably be okay. It looks like he just got elected president. But I think everybody else is going to be screwed up. We'll debate election law here in a bit. Yeah, cut to Kendall getting the news from Tom. He says, exit polls say a minute. Shiv says, that's great. I mean, I got four smileys from Gil. Looks like Roman got two eggplants and a flag from Minkin. Spencer, which is the better text? Everybody knows you're a world-class texter. Uh, I'm going four smileys. I'm with four smileys. Four smileys seems like a better a better place to be in. Four smileys is symptomatic of the complacency at the heart of his out-of-touch campaign. As am I. Eggplant, eggplant reeks of the misogynistic bravado that has so repelled the median voter. 
So they're already getting snippy and firing back and forth. I got to say, you know, we, we started out with what, maybe the second episode. We had a fist fight with Shiv and Roman. Mm-hmm. Um, still fighting. Season four, they're still fighting. Roman says, it's not a big deal. My team is playing your team. It's only spicy because if my team wins, they're going to shoot your team. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck did you talk about, Roman? Well, we, we've established in canon in the show, right? That like they, the, the left, if they're justified or not, are, are uniquely concerned about Minkin as a candidate. The, 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 like, and this would be a great parallel to 2016. Like, and, and if you, if you didn't believe this, that's fine. But the left felt like Trump was a specifically problematic candidate. It, it, mm-hmm. it, of course they were going to vote Democrat, right? You could have, you could have put him at Mitt Romney. They would have but, still voted Democrat. Trump but particularly they like terrified them. Trump was particularly scary. And I think that's, that's what they want to create with this Minkin yeah. character. Well, also the kind of the pop, the, the populist support, the demagoguery associated with that. They're wrapping up perceptions and aspects of Trump into the Minkin character. Yeah. And, oh, and his, and his ability to, Give a speech that says absolutely nothing but garbage, so, gar- garbles. So, like, so, oh my god! It, it has a dog whistle all to shit in that thing. We'll get there. But it's so meandering. It was like, oh my god, this is this is it. Well, this is the guy. You, you I remember there was a stage. It wasn't that long ago where a, poli- a, a politician actually said, "I've been elected. It's awesome." He'd be mocked endlessly in the press. That's the first th- thing that Minkin says to describe what just happened. I am. If Trump didn't say it, he could have said it and it wouldn't have been a big deal. Sure. I mean, you, you know, he could, he tried, can you imagine? It's awesome. And nobody would care. No, yeah. um, that that, that era is gone. The era of, you know, oh, yeah. of Howard Dean doing his yell being enough to end the candidacy is just, <sighs> we have long since moved to something different than that. Trump took it out back, shot it, buried it. Shiv then asked about the Nazi vans. Roman calls them the fun vans. Okay. Shiv tells a story about one of them picking up a kid to kidnapping by the highway. Spencer, uh, legal mind on the, on the podcast. Would you say that picking up a kid, telling them that you're going to take them to vote and then dropping them off in the middle of a highway would be, would qualify as kidnapping? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you have seized someone and held them under false pretenses and then deposited them somewhere else. You're like, you've let them go from the kidnapping, but in that moment, you were kidnapping them. Yeah. Um, so I have, I come from, uh, the eastern part of the state that I live in. And it's, it's a little bit more like, um, it's a lot of like, a lot of like small towns. It's, it's a mm-hmm. collection of small towns. It's not like you don't have like one big city, right? That, yeah. that is kind of like the flagship for that part of the state. It's just a bunch of small towns, right? And, and a lot of farming. Maybe Wilmington, but Wilmington's really like a really very, a very separate area from where we're talking about. Yeah. 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 That's, that's way too south. Um, and, so it's a lot of like when I, at least when I was growing up and I was like cognizant of what was going on there, there's a lot of like small town politics. And I would hear these stories of like people picking up like homeless people in vans and giving oh, them sure, ID, yeah. giving them ID cards and a hot meal and telling them to go in and say you're that person and then vote. Mm-hmm. Like not as a joke. Like I heard like, oh, that candidate's doing that. So that candidate's going to win. Like it, that's how it was said to me. Have you ever seen the movie, uh, Charlie Wilson's war, by the way? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it's a story that Charlie Wilson himself t- told before, but about him driving people to the election, uh, for the election that he's running in and then telling when they're getting out of the car that the, uh, his opponent had killed his dog. Yeah. I, yeah, I was, that was a good one. That, that is a tradition in small town politics all over the place. Oh man, that was, that, I think that was, I never saw it happen. I was just, I was just told like that's happening. That's why that oh, person sure. keeps winning. Um, and it was almost like how you could like quote buy an election. Like you could oh, just, yeah. 
And I think that's kind of what Minkin's going for here, right? He's just sending out in these precincts that are particularly important. He's just sending out vans. He's also just disrupting things. Yeah. Schiff tells a story. Uh, so Schiff tells that story, right? And uh, Roman calls it a false flag. Spencer, <laughs> they go back and forth about the false flag thing. Spencer, what does the term false flag mean? It, I mean, it comes originally from nautical. It's the idea that, you know, a ship would put up a false flag so as to get in close to then reveal its true colors and, like, launch a broadside of them and try to take them. And now it's used to the idea about an event happens that is blamed on a particular group, and it's the possibility that it actually is an operation by the other group, cloaked and daggered as the group that's being blamed so as to get that group in trouble when in reality it's, you know, an operation for that specific purpose. So undoubtedly this has occurred at some point. But it, the threat of this thing occurring has allowed anybody who is associated with a group who's done something problematic to just say, no, that's not Direct true. Blame elsewhere. No, it's not true. No, it's not true. Yeah. So it's take zero accountability for the group that they are involved with and just point the finger to the other side. It, that's what the ter- term allows you to do. And Roman executes it. I wouldn't say masterfully because that would connotate some good. He at least does it consistent with how i've seen it done before he does it consistently but he doesn't believe it he's just mocking he's 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 almost putting on a bit of theater with respect every time he does it just so he can dismiss shiv and mock her cut to lucas shiv on the phone she says it's looking like a menace which is good for democracy and great for us lucas says okay so she's saying great for us she's acknowledging in her conversation with lucas that the dims will put the deal through the deal they are not going to step in and artificially stop the deal they will allow you know the system of laws, rules, and regulations that we have in place to prevail, and the deal would go through under Jimenez. That's what that's what Shiv is acknowledging here in her private conversation with Lucas. Yes, very much so. Okay, she says um, they should release his funky numbers today or the day after tomorrow. Lucas mixing himself a drink. I'd like to point out. So he's still getting fucked up. Says that uh, he was speaking to Oscar and Greg about this, which gets a pause from Shiv. I'm sorry, you spoke to Greg about this? And this is where Caught, I completely we, off guard. I just wish we had Greg wrestling music I could play right now because, like, Greg now becomes this massive power player because he got he got um, Lucas to blab to him about yeah. Shiv the night before. I love Greg's confusion about it, too, because Greg's like, well, he doesn't like me, but he's telling me things. And he seems like he you know, enjoys my company. It's like... Greg, I think you just became part of Batson's inner circle, dude. I think that's how they work. Yeah, he, was, he said, well, he was just part of the conversation as a normalist. What the hell does that mean? Uh, a normie. We invited a regular person to the event, you know, to get the the man on the street perspective. He says that maybe they should keep his terrible secret a secret. Shiv doesn't know what to do with that, but she's getting a call from Nate, which has to take priority and she answers. This is interesting. We debated, was there anything they can do with respect to this information about Matson, you know, and his company and Gojo exaggerating their numbers in India? And it seems to be Shiv's perspective is, let's get ahead of it. Let's not wait for it to leak. Let's control the narrative. Let's present it in our given way. So, the, so we can kind of set the channels by which this will flow in early rather than waiting for the dam to burst. I mean, the option, th- 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 that is a way of mitigating the potential harm. That's a very p- politically classic way of mit- mitigating the potential harm. I don't know how well it's, it would work with news this devastating, but she seems to at least have hope. It seems like a political operative's approach to the situation. Yes, very much so. You know, and Lucas seems like somebody who has lived in the insular world of a private business. Just like, um, can't we keep it buried forever? Yeah, that's his, that's his perspective, right? I'm not sure which one's right or which one will win out. I guess we will see. So Nate, Nate calls her. So she answers the phone for Nate. Nate continues to be 
he can, keeps his streak alive in this episode. The only person who in this entire show I think I'd actually want to hang out with in real life. I mean, the fact that he actually seems to have some element of a moral compass distinguishes him from almost everyone here. There's, I mean, Greg for about 20 minutes of just, you know, maybe in public somewhere, but like Nate is like the only one I'd actually be friends with. So I, Nate says, I, Madsen um, apparently throws some great parties. Yeah, I guess you drink things that shouldn't be drank. Nate says, dance with old guys <laughs> who doesn't, who don't want to dance. Nate says she, uh, she needs to be covering the, covering the intimidation. Who watches the watchman? Mm-hmm. Shiv giving herself abundance of credit says, I watch the watchman. I fucking do. So Shiv, this is, you a, I feel like, you don't, I feel if, like, if you feel that way, you don't have, you actually don't have the authority to do anything with it. I feel like the problem with Shiv, Q 50 million comments about how I'm being unfair to Shiv is that she just gets overconfident, right? And I feel like it's something that all the kids do. Roman does it. Kendall does it. They all get overconfident at certain periods. And this is like the peak of her overconfidence. It's start to, it's going to fall off a cliff here in a minute. We, 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 I think we, I think the actual peak is the conversation with Greg of where she could, Whoa. that if you want a conversation of where Shiv is just abundantly clearly, Greg is even telling her that she's shooting herself in the foot. There it is. Yeah. So she says, you're getting good numbers. Nate says, yeah. But he mentions the weather in Nevada is concerning and the disturbance in Wisconsin. So it's second, Again. second reference about what's going on in Wisconsin. He says that Pennsylvania and Arizona could be tough. We know they end up losing Arizona. Roman then comes up to Kendall and repeats something he'll say many times this episode, that if Jimenez wins, he's going to wave the deal through, which obviously these two don't want. Roman says, in that case... The last ditch is the board, the shareholders. He gets a call. He says that Jared wants face-to-face. Kendall goes, oh, okay, me too. Roman says, I doubt it. I'm asking. Kind of a sneaky big moment here with how Kendall thinks about the entire situation. Because he's saying, oh, Jared Minkin, who, by the way, major party candidate for president on election night. Yep. Wants to do a face-to-face call with Roman. Kendall wants to be... Kendall wants to be in on it because if Minkin wins, he wants to, you know, have some relationship with him. And Megan waves off Kendall. That should be really fucking telling to Kendall right here, right now. I think it is. Kendall I think, openly talks with Shiv about how much he is put off and concerned by just Minkin and Roman having a relationship. But, man, alarm bells should be going off in his head from the word go with this kind of thing. Roman asks Kendall if he wants to try Gil. I'm unsure of Gil's relationship to Jimenez. That's the part I don't understand. We know Gil's a senator. Mm-hmm. He's the Bernie Sanders-ish stand-in kind of thing. Correct. Yeah, the billionaires of the billionaires. And then Jimenez is the major party candidate who is also a governor. We know he's Governor Jimenez. So it's just maybe Gill is part of his campaign or something. Because sometimes sometimes members of Congress uh, or other elected leaders are part of the campaign apparatus for the major party presidential candidate. That does happen. Well, he ultimately bypasses it anyway and just calls Nate. So, you know, faster anyway. Gill says it kind of. Feel sweaty. Maybe I'll wait a day. Roman points out, uh, this is the day. There are no more days. What are you talking about days? Election day. Today is the day the rooster puts his head in our hands. Today is the day of maximum leverage. He's getting another text and he says that Jared only wants to talk to him, not Kendall. Kendall says, fuck him. All right, go, 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 go. Kendall's phone rings. He picks it up. Rava points out that she and Kendall's daughter, <sighs> Sophie, who has gotten much older. Sophie's gotten much older. Well, process of time. Look at that. Um, and... They are being followed by an SUV and Kindle <laughs> listens, listens, and then starts to ask what the license plate is, which is a very strange thing. Now, I looked this up because where I live, if a car is following you, 
Good luck getting the license plate. The license plate's on the back of the car. In New York, it's in, in, the New front. York it, in New York, it has to be on both. Yeah. The back and the front. So, the, yeah, this is consistent. And she starts to rattle it off, and Kendall kind of half knows it. And he says, yeah, that's actually me. Uh, so I guess when he heard that his daughter had been pushed by the Ravenhead supporter, he is now giving them private security against Rava's will. I see. This would have been fine if it, she'd at least taken the opportunity to tell them that he wanted to do this. Well, that wouldn't have the, taken much. He should have done that. Yes. He absolutely but, should have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. But what we have seen from Rava, I can see how Kendall would go, man, it's just easier if I don't have that conversation. Cause she would, she does erupt sometimes. And when she doesn't like something or she doesn't want something to happen, it doesn't seem like she's like, yeah, well, let's work it out. She's, she's either like super reasonable or she's like, I will fucking rip I, your organs. Out. I'm with you. But just because something isn't is hard doesn't mean it, it, you shouldn't do that thing. He should have basically I, just gone to her and said, "Hey, I'm worried about y'all. I want to make you feel more safe. I want you to be safe. I want to hire a company that you control. I won't deal I said with them. Should have done it. I know. I, mean, I won't deal with them. They'll be your guy. I won't have any involvement or monitoring of them. I just want. I would like to do this if you're okay with it. That should have been the conversation. But Kent, he's busy. Six continents." I said he should have done it, I and I meant that. I that wasn't. That wasn't you're like you're attacking Kendall's psychology rather than the morality of the situation. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, there is probably a reason why he didn't do it. He still should have done it, but there's something rooted in what we've seen sure. that that, it, that is informing this behavior from Kendall. I'm with you. Yeah, uh, I mean, Bravo reads in the right act for you know this going the worst way that it could. That he hides it for, hides it from her, and then she finds out after they're stressed off, thinking they're being followed. And how many times do you think she said, fuck you, Kendall, in her life? God, I don't think there's a dictionary worth of space for that, really. I mean, it's a big number, right? Anyway, he 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 tries to yell through the phones that Sophie can hear him. I won't let the world push you. OK, sweetie. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see if he keeps a, to that promise by the end of the episode. <laughs> yet another shot of Kendall alone. After this, after this phone conversation, he's alone, sitting in a chair, thinking. Right? Yeah, how emotionally connected does his daughter sound to what he said? By the way, doesn't respond to it and just seems stone faced as she's hearing him say it. I'm gonna tell you this, Kendall. Rava seems to me like somebody who could uh, could be difficult to navigate. Now you are a fucking piece of work, Kendall. So you're not helping the situation one iota. But Rava also seems difficult. But I'll tell you this. He has, he gets so little FaceTime with Sophie and Rava speaks about Kendall so poorly Mm -hmm. and I'm sure Sophie hates Kendall. I I don't, I also don't picture Rava as being somebody that does that thing that you should do of where you don't speak ill of the other person around your kids. Shit, no. You know she's like, you know she hangs up the phone and goes, your fucking father put this fucking ass shit, like you know she just, yeah, she just does it. So anyway, he calls Nate. They have an awkward sort of pointless conversation where Kendall is saying, good luck. He has to talk to Daniel, the Democratic candidate. He actually gets him on the phone, which is who, an indication who of seems juice. really uncomfortable with it. Like he feels like obliged to do it, but does not like that he's you know having this conversation on this day. He seems like two things, right? He seems like uncomfortable with it, but also he just it seems like he just doesn't like Kendall at all. Like, he just doesn't want to be speaking to the guy, like, on a personal level. Harder to tell for me on that point. He certainly does not want this conversation to go beyond about 15 seconds. 
I don't think he's a big fan of Kendall. Um, so he says, uh, cause he, there's a way to, if he, if he was, he could have been like, wait, man, really good to talk to you, but you know, I, I can't really it, talk about much today. Instead, he's just like, hey, how are you? He, you know, he also is kind of like alone in a bedroom where Nate finds him. The guy may just be stressed. Well, I'm sure he is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Then we see Roman going to see Mink, and so we get a nice parallel shot there. Roman walks right in and calls him a big loser. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm in, I'm here and I'm in charge. Please, everyone talk to me. Hey, big loser, you're losing so much. Him and Minkin, I don't like Minkin. I don't think we're supposed to like Minkin. They've got a relationship. We're supposed to think where Minkin's very good, but Roman does have a relationship with Minkin. Roman knows how to make relationships. Kendall tries, and some people seem to like and gravitate to him, but Roman walks into a room and he's immediately captivating. Off-putting to a lot of people, but your attention is drawn. If you need to win a person, you send Roman. If you need to win a room, you send Kendall. <laughs> Particularly if he's talking about eternal life. If you need to speak with intelligence, you send Schiff. And if you um, need to create a movement, you send Connor. Conheads unite! So he says, we'll blame you. Couldn't deliver. This is Minkin talking to Roman. Couldn't deliver Connor, huh? ATN scared to run all the fraud. Roman says, well, I'll keep my hands out. What is this? Fuck you, because I'm busy. I'm busy, man. <laughs> Megan's like, oh, you're busy. You're busy. Okay. They have a weird repertoire. Roman says, I don't run around like some food bike guy, you know. Minkin pulls him aside and says very directly. Minkin does – and this is how I imagine Trump does business. And some people may like this about him. But I think they're drawing another parallel to Trump here because I, I would bet a awful lot of uh money if I had it. If I had spent some money, I'd bet it. That fucking Trump doesn't talk indirectly about these types of things. Can you imagine him being like, well, well, you know, we got a massage. He is a fucking right at it. And Minkin is doing that here. And it's like, it's in such a way that I imagine that if like the Democrats heard how Minkin is talking about this here, they'd even be uncomfortable. I mean, there is a court case pending on the subject of calling a certain election director down in Georgia. So, you know, we do know Trump does that. But it's meant in, in episode, it's meant to be in pointed contrast of how Minkin handles the direct, this is what I want, this is what I'm willing to give you, versus Jimenez and Nate are like trying to maintain a certain ethical distance of where it's like there's a due process issue, I can't actually offer you those kind of things, it'd be in violation of the law, I can't do that. Minkin does not have those ethics. Yeah, and it is the type of thing that like makes political operatives... Like I know, I do know enough about that world to know this. It kind of makes them crazy when they support Democrats because they're like, "You guys aren't playing by the same rules." Like you, what? you guys, the, it's you the, guys, the one hand behind same, your back thing. Yeah, you're fighting with one hand behind your back here. You don't, you don't do the same, you know, to pull the same stuff, right? So Roman is telling him that they will, if Minkin loses, help him with the narrative that it's like an insurgent campaign, unfairly maligned as extremist by the coast masturbation factories. Get, get him back in four or eight years. This is his objective here. Is that give me, give me, uh, give me an honorable exit so I can set the narrative for next time when I come, because I'm going to be president and he's offering Roman a chance to kind of be connected with that in some way. And if you want a, just a, like a, a real world example of how, candidates who lose can be treated think about how when trump lost in 2020 how he was treated by fox news as opposed to how how mitt romney was treated when he lost in 2012 because when when mitt romney lost in 2012 it was meltdown on air it was this guy has ruined the republican party i mean they threw him under the bus put the bus in reverse backed up ran back over him and ran back forward again 
Trump in 2020 was a little bit of a lighter touch. And I think that's kind of what he is getting at here. He's like, mm-hmm. you guys can make or break me if I lose with this narrative. And Roman is agreeing to do this for him. Mm-hmm. He even says this line, which I think is really telling about the state of major party politics on both sides. This is actually both sides. Even if you're not going to be president, you're going to be our president. That that was a very telling line. <laughs> because that happens, right? Yes. Where if a party loses a presidential election, there still is a leader of the party um, that operates and controls a lot of the party apparatus, right? Trump okay. continued to be that in 2020. Um, you know, after 20, let's say 2016, it continued to be Obama in America mm-hmm. for Democrats. Uh, cut to 18. And the news anchors are eating, hydrating. I like, I, I like that shot where they're all like, bulking I appreciated up for that. The it's like, you know, they, they, they are, they are pre, they're pre preparing for what the night's going to be. That was a nice little human moment, actually. I appreciated that. I did too. And Greg tells Tommy wants to do a chat in terms of the me of things and how to play it because Madsen, he treated me quite abominably, but it felt trusting and he was saying a lot of things. And Tom asked him, where's coffee? Is Greg said, Tom, I don't, don't do, do coffee, coffee anymore. anymore. Tom says, you, I gotta be clear. If I make a miscue, let's say I miscall Colorado, the U.S. loses credibility. China spots an opportunity and invades Taiwan. Tactical nukes, fucking shit goes kablooey, and we're back to amoeba. Makes perfect sense. Uh, I, I get yeah. the logic. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're per, they're, there's perfectly logical thread going thread all of that. Greg sorts of gets quiet and asks Tom, do you want some of what we asked about? Do you, do you want some do you want some, do you want some, some of the thing? Yeah. Uh, Tom says, no, 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 I don't think so. What I, do you think? What do you think? He wants, he, what he wants is somebody to give him an excuse to yes, do it. Yes, I, I was pushed. Greg says, maybe no election night. Your call, I mean. Tom says, yeah, hit me. This is not a thing. It's not going to be in a book. <laughs> Tom, <laughs> the self-importance <laughs> is just dripping. Oh, Tom. God, I want to read Greg's tell-all book. Please let me read Greg's tell-all book oh. at some point. HBO release that after the show is over. Greg's tell-all. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Like in Greg's voice, too. Oh, and God. Then I mean, uh, and then I thought about, uh, uh give, yeah, it'd be great. Give us an audio book, please. Pay for the actor to come back to do that. So they really get super interested in this wonderful diagram that's on a whiteboard. I mean, this is really going to make or break what, the night. What is the there, study man? Of this, of this. Yeah. So they uh, they do a little coke. Uh, first, it's just Tom, and then he, he pushes Greg to do it. Greg doesn't want to. We get this great line from Greg. I don't want to get addicted from two nights in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Greg. Don't be a mom. <laughs> Tom says it's medically good for your brain. Duh. I mean, that's just science. Uh, so Greg tries to fake it and Tom calls him on it so that he does it. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely not good for your brain, by the way. That's so aggressive. Uh, what are you all, what are you saying? All Aztecs are stupid. Don't be a little bitch about it. <laughs> clearly, clearly cocaine and human sacrifice. They understood things. Tom sits down, says he sees some bodega sushi. He doesn't like that. Are you insane, Greg? He says, it's Samson. No, not Samson, Greg. I don't know how they did this with the actor. He, he looks high. Like in the, in, in like, in it, he looks high for just a few minutes mm-hmm. because like the way that like cocaine works is like, if you do like, you do a couple of bumps of coke, right? You're going to, you're going to flash high, Real high really fast. fast and you'll be high for like three minutes or something. And that's why people do coke all through the night and end up tearing up their heart and stuff. Cause it, the, the high doesn't last very long. He looks really high in this moment. I don't, I don't know what they did with his eyes or maybe, maybe they dilated his eyes or something, but he looks fucked up for just a few minutes and then he goes back to normal. It's pretty well shot. Uh, it may be possible that a certain number of the people that are in Hollywood writing this 
kind of have a certain familiarity with cocaine. I hate to cast aspersions. Well, it, yeah, well, I know that they do, but I'm just not talking about how the actor looks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know how they got that. There's this, like, strange look when people are high on cocaine where they're, like, they they, they kind of look almost like they just woke up from, a, like, a deep sleep mm-hmm. almost. Like, it kind of looks like that. Like, he's like looks gobsmacked a little I mean, bit. I don't know how they did it. It was great. The man's a great actor. But I'll tell you this. His digestive system is just as important as the Constitution. All right, Spencer? <laughs> Do you understand? Microwave milk, ginger shots, American bottle water. Wow. Wow. American bottle water. Unbelievable. I, I, Unbelievable, these people. I really enjoy that his term for this is, I want you Gregging for me. You're busted back down to Greg tonight. But Greg has gotten above Greg, but now he is back to Greg. <laughs> Another thing that uh, I guess would pass muster for his the constitutionally important uh, digestive system is spaghetti and olive oil. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Greg uh, says he's got a crew here. Uh, or no, Greg, Greg has a... Uh, Greg says he's got it. Then Connor calls Tom. Mm-hmm. Your guy Connor makes an entrance. How do you think? Let's let's do it right now. I want to do it right now. I don't want to bury the lead, Spencer. Can you grade Connor's performance tonight for me for the episode? Like yeah. The how did he do? How did he do? That speech is rough, man. That what? Your conhead. I don't even. We will unpack some key lines in that speech, but I like Connor. It is, this episode made it a little bit harder to like Connor because it reminded me. That Connor having any measure of power is terrifying. Yeah. You didn't give a grade. Uh, I will say, personally, he succeeded. So, B on that regard. For the sake of the Republic, maybe a C minus D. Spencer cannot go with the bit. He has to give me two grades. Cannot do it. Can't, constitutionally incapable of going with the bet. Well, no, I'm not going to give a grade, and then I'll give you two grades. And, and, and our audience will note those grades average it exactly in the middle. There you go. He says uh, there's a film camera there with him, I guess an ATM film camera, film camera. I imagine they gave him this to make him happy. Yeah. But they're not putting anything on the air. Um he says, give me some sugar, man. He, I guess he expects favorable treatment from ATN, which kind of makes sense. Wilo whispers Schrodinger's cat to him. I think that was some sort of like couple thing to remind him. And he explains, until we open the boxes, I'm just as much president as the other two. If I do it, it's the story of all time. Well, here would be my, my point back to Connor. I would say both of those other candidates have secret service detail right now. Do you? Yeah. Uh, Connor, I appreciate your optimism, but that cat's dead, man. Cat is dead. Both boxes, cat's dead. Willow does not have a strong episode from my perspective because she's of trying to be supportive. But she looks like she's working. Do you notice that? She looks like she's at work here. Mm-hmm. Like she's rubbing his back and she's saying the things and she's very like into, I'll bet you she considers this on the clock work. She's married to him at this point. I suppose you're, I suppose you're on there 24 seven now. Yeah, but I, I think she's especially like, I know I have to be locked in right now for him. Tom, she, she's being supportive, whether it's, you know, mercenary, I can't tell you. Tom sort of pushes him off, keeps going. His campaign manager, who is a odd duck, uh, tells him that if it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to happen in Kentucky. Of course. Of course. Of course, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. Kentucky yeah. has a very strange electoral history. And I'll tell you this, they, they're the, they're the, they're the, the state that gave us Rand Paul. So I'll just agree with that. <laughs> uh, I do love, and this is just straight up com- comedy in the episode. I do enjoy that Kentucky is then the the, the uh, third state announced, or like first state announced here in a second. 
Yeah. Well, it tells him anything can happen. She's rubbing his back. Connor mentions that elections are a lot more fun when you are in it. And while it's just agreeing, you got to be in it to win it. Cut to ATN. Who's saying polls have closed in half a dozen states. The most closely watched states are Georgia, Virginia. They call these key battleground states. It's interesting that they call Virginia and Georgia key battleground states. I would say in the 2024 election that we're going to have here in a little bit, um, Georgia absolutely will be a battleground state. Virginia, Virginia's so kind of gone pretty blue over the recent we're, election cycles. Yeah, Virginia not so much. And it's because the DMV area, you get a big turnout during presidential elections and that tilts the state. And that's how you can have like – because their their governor election is one year after their presidential elections, mm-hmm. which is strange. So in twenty twenty five, they'll have the govern- gubernatorial race, and that may that may swing wildly red. But in presidential years, all those young people in the DMV area vote, and that just throws the yeah. state. So I wouldn't call it a battleground. Always state. a lot of turnout at the DMV. We learned that uh, Minkin is a representative, which makes his rise even more non traditional. We do not have members of the House of Representatives become president in this country anymore. That shit you, used to be way back in the day, though. Yeah, when was who was the last president look. to come as a member of the House of Representatives? I will. Look. I, I want to say it is. I don't know. I can't even think of a name. Uh. uh it may be James Garfield. Jesus Christ. I will confirm that here in a minute. <laughs> yeah, we don't do that in this country. The U.S. House of Representatives, not a feeder system for the presidency. Uh, go- governorships and the U.S. Senate are. Uh, Jimenez is a governor. And then we see that Macon won Kentucky. And they called it as soon as the polls closed. So that means it wasn't even remotely close. And Willa immediately goes into comfort mode. She was waiting for this. She goes to the fuck Kentucky route. But Spencer's guy, Connor, rises above as he always does and says, no, I shan't become that. No. Alas, Kentucky Willa. Alas. <laughs> what a line from Connor. He's He's going straight up theatrical associated with this. I, I have looked it up. We'll use Wikipedia as a source for this, but only Garfield and Abraham Lincoln have served in no office higher than the representative when elected president, and only James Garfield was a representative immediately before the election. So. Yeah, Lincoln had served one term in the House of Representatives and then got out, right? Pretty much, yeah. And then yeah. only John Quincy Adams was elected a representative after being president. I knew that the John Quincy Adams went back to the Congress, which would the boy, that would be something I, you know, I, I kind of hope Trump was going to do that. Just, I just thought that would be hilarious if we had him and as just like, you know, some little carved out district in Florida and he's just bouncing around the house of representatives. That that's the Trump. I like that's the funny Trump. That would make me laugh. ATN anchor calls this the most important election in our lifetime. I got to tell you, if I could go my entire life with never hearing that phrase again, it would be too soon. I am sick of hearing the most I important election in our lifetime. desperately look forward to an announcer on a major news nation saying, well, we all know that this election is going to be rather boring. God, what, what, a, what a year that would be. I'm going to call it right now. The 2024 election is going to be boring. They're not going to market it that way. No, I'm telling you, it's going to be a boring election. It's not the most important election in our lifetimes. Hey, I know we have probably have a lot of, um, a lot of listeners that run crooked media, you know, that, that crooked media. <laughs> hey, okay. here's some, here's something I'd like to say to crooked media. Stop saying it's the most important election in our lifetimes. Every single one of your podcasts says it 50 times around election season it's and it kind of loses, branding. it loses, it loses its juice is what I'm saying. Hey, we hear Alaska is close, which is something we covered last podcast, right? Remember we talked about that? Mm-hmm. That Alaska uh, might be in play here. It looks like I, it might be. I, you do a system of voting where it's not just first past the post. It opens up things. 
Oh yeah, Alaska's ranked choice. That's very interesting. Which is which is allowed a Democratic a Democratic Congressperson from Alaska for the first time in I don't know, probably since Abe Lincoln. More states should consider ranked choice. It's a much more fair way of doing things. Is that oh Spencer ready to go on 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 record? For, first past choice? the post kind of sucks. Oh okay. Cut back to Tom and Greg. Pam asked Tom how much airtime he wants to give to a fair amount of intimidation. His folks and ours, so like fire in Wisconsin in Milwaukee could be nasty, could be electrical, but it also could be Minkinist. When they say Minkinist, like that—that's—they—that's they, they, clearly a term in universe that other people are saying. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's just ATN that says that phrase. I think that's something everybody in America is calling Minkin supporters Minkinist. Very much so. Yes. Camera smash, crew harassed in Portland. She says, that's them. Tom says he trusts her. Cut to the anchor struggling with the touch stream. Tom just loses his fucking shit. Freaks the hell out. He isn't alone, but him in particular is just gone here for about a minute. He goes running. Pam is trying to tell him they have multiple touch screens. They are ready. Kendall notices it too. The control room says Tom... Uh, Tom comes in and says, you're losing it, Dave. Don't lose it, Dave. Don't lose it tonight, Dave. Damn it, Dave. Tom's upset with you. I really feel bad for the professionals that are here on ATN that are trying to just do their damn jobs with all of these mad men just running around them. Kendall calls Tom and lays into uh, Tom. You're not on it, Tom. Figure it out. He he gives – Tom is not on Kendall's good list this episode. At no point whatsoever ever. Phone handed to Greg. We're about to get a new batch of – a new batch, Greg, and if we drop numbers now, I'm going to come down there and put your fucking head through that touchscreen. So I would like this to be is a very important point for the sequence I'm about to talk about. He is yelling in the phone to Tom's personal assistant, so it might as well be Tom. We're about to get a new batch of numbers, and if our numbers drop, I'm going to be really upset. This is what Kendall is prioritizing to Tom. This is why Tom yep. is so interested in the numbers only. It's coming from the CEO of the company. From the top. Pam tells Tom and, they are and, on it. Nope. Kendall's reason for this is trying to keep the stock price high. He's trying yeah. to just, again, maintain strategy number one, just in case they can't do strategy number two for screwing over the Gojo deal. Run them out on price. Greg giving the best advice to every single character in the entire show this episode. Don't catastrophize. Please. That needs to be repeated more. I want that as a damn bumper sticker. Pam tells Tom they are on it. No one will notice. Tom perks up at that. He says, I noticed. Am I no one? Do I look like no one? So here's the sequence I want to talk about. Kind of, Tom. Kind of. Here's the sequence I want to talk about. And it is the handling of the situation that's going on in Wisconsin. What's happening is in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, at an election center, Mm -hmm. a fire has been started that has destroyed 100,000 absentee ballots from the Milwaukee area. And have not been counted yet. They've not been counted yet. Now – you can look it up till your fingers bleed. The numbers coming out of Milwaukee are always deeply, deeply Democratic. Incredibly this, so. This swings the state of Wisconsin. Wisconsin, their numbers will come in pretty quick after the polls close. And it's a lot of the non-Milwaukee area will report first. You'll see a big Republican lead. And then it will get, it will move back toward closer to 50-50 when the Democrats uh, – when Milwaukee's counted and the Democrat uh, – Ballots are counted. The idea that a hundred thousand absentee ballots from Milwaukee would be anything but deeply democratic is farcical. Ludicrous. It's a joke. It's a joke. Yeah. That we, we know it's, it's what Darwin keeps saying. We know, we know what they are. We know these ballots, what they are. So, um, but we don't know exactly. So here's, here's the situation. Kendall's looking at social media about the fire in Wisconsin and Kendall is unhappy. Social isn't 
is more up to date than they are. Uh, I looked it up. I don't have the absentee numbers, but I can look those up later. But just straight up election numbers in 2020, Milwaukee went 69 percent for Biden. Yeah, and the absentee ballots go even harder, even harder Democratic than what the the general numbers would be. So you're you're looking at probably seventy five twenty five. Those ballots are going to break Democratic. Sure. So Kendall, I'd like to say by the nature of social media, they're going to get the story first. Sorry to tell you, they're always going to. Be. Sorry, <laughs> you're, just, you're just going to hate being yep. in the news business if you if that's your your barometer. Shiv calls Tom. Kendall is barking in the background about covering the fire in Milwaukee. Even this early, Tom is saying it's an electrical fire. Note that. Mm -hmm. Tom really wants you to think it's an electrical fire. Tom tries to explain that they just don't have the time to put it on air. We have competing interests. Shiv goes, electrical fire? Nate on the other line says, not what we're hearing. She says, it's not what Nate's hearing. Well, bully for Nate. Hey, Tom. Hey, Nate. (laughs) Civil, civil relationship they have. So someone as deep in them and as campaign as you could possibly be, Nate, says the information that they're getting is that it is a not, it is not an electrical fire. Kendall explains that they need to be all over it. Tom says he thinks it's important to keep their unique perspective. Mm-hmm. Their unique perspective mm-hmm. is the words he uses. What? Because we're getting conflicting reporting. Schiff says, what about the actual photos I can see of it happening on my fucking phone? Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what Kendall's looking at and why he's wondering it's not being covered. Tom says there are many things happening in this nation right now, you know, such as people filling up their gas tank or, you know, doing exercise in their basement. Kendall says if these nut jobs are going paramilitary, we can say that. So what Kendall is saying is, yes, we we lean conservative. Our viewers are conservative. But he now is giving conflicting guidance to Tom, right? Because just 10 minutes ago, he was barking. The numbers have to be high. The numbers have to be high. Now he's saying, actually... If it's Minkinist, if it's paramilitary people, we can actually report that. I mean, so it would still Tom, be news. Tom, caught in the middle, says, yes, but we need to respect our viewers. Why is he saying that? Because of what Kendall just said 10 minutes ago. And then Shiv says, by not telling them anything they don't want to hear, which is sort of the state of like modern media in America, yeah. right? And in comes Rome. This is... I love this sequence so much. He goes, you guys get this about the Antifa firebombing? <laughs> it's so already he, started. <laughs> so he is on nothing but conservative Twitter yeah. and conservative whatever, true social or whatever. And they've already started the story that this is the left that did this. And mm-hmm. so that's the only news he's getting. Why? Because he's conservative and because he siloed himself into this little echo chamber. And he comes back in the room and goes, well, it's an Antifa firebombing, of course. And Kendall just points at him exasperated like all of us. Mm-hmm. Nate says we hear it's his people, Minkin. Roman, not willing to even consider it, just says, Yeah. Kendall then says it becomes a story. When it becomes a story, we'll cover it. Shiv points out this is happening in a voting center. Kendall says it's a story. It's a story, Tom. Tom then reverts to asking not to be micromanaged. So why is Tom waffling here? It's because he's getting conflicting direction. The numbers better not drop or I'll put your head through a touchscreen. And then report this story, even if it will upset her base, which it will. They don't want to hear it, but mm-hmm. report it anyway. It's also reflecting the conflicted kind of values in Kendall's head throughout this entire episode. Of where he's trying to adhere to a certain degree of principle. He's trying to, you know, be the guy that protects his daughter from this kind of threat that's coming down the pipe. 
And at the same time, he's got his own ambition. And those two aren't squaring at any point this episode. I think it's an absolutely fantastic sequence. And I would, if I was teaching it in a, a political science class, I would connect it to how ATN eventually covers it, which I'll go ahead and report. I'll read that now since we're having the conversation. We want to report a fire in Milwaukee originally thought to have been caused by an elect- electrical failure. So they're still going back to that, which they know isn't true. They still mm-hmm. report it anyway. Initially but, thought. Yeah, they, but we, which basically means it's not true, but we're going to yeah. say it anyway. But now there are claims and some counterclaims being made by groups who were protesting alleged voting irregularities. Completely non-committal. It's like they, un-fucking believable. They Listen have to acknowledged a fire occurred and then offered no other committing to anything. Well, no, no. It's the it's even. I think it's even more loaded than that. So they work so hard to say it's not Minkin's people, right? Yes. But then they want to tie it back to some to justification. Well, to some justification for why Minkins people might be upset in the first place. So they're already laying the groundwork ah, for I why see. if this was Minkins people, it was done so because of alleged voting irregularities. So they made sure to f- throw alleged voting irregularities in, which, by the way, gotcha. when you're when you're accusing an election of being fraudulent, it's a pretty fucking big deal. But we tend to just throw that phrase out now as if like we could just throw it, throw it out and prove it later. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're saying, well, some people on Twitter said there was voting irregularities. So, of course, Minkins people were there, and then there happened to be a fire. I'm going to go out on a limb here and just say I tend to think that burning down an election center and 100,000 absentee votes is probably not the most reasonable or productive way of protesting uh, your concerns about electoral or voting irregularities. I know I'm going on a limb with this. Yeah, but we know that's not what they were doing, right? They they were burning the ballots it's because they knew the ballots they knew the ballots would swing heavily Democratic, sure. so that exactly what plays out would play out. So and happening to back control up. the margin of victory. Back up a little bit. Pam tells Tom that a chopper is on the way. Tom shows Tom tells Shiv and Kendall he has to go manage it, but he'll keep him looped in. He hands off to Greg. Kendall and Shiv are not willing to talk to Greg, and they just hang up. That was a pretty funny moment. We're not talking to Greg. Fuck that. No, who's this? We're above Greg. Shiv tells, uh, Kendall tells Shiv it's amateur hour down there. Shiv says, so if it happened in Milwaukee and if it's deliberate, it's Minkinus. Rome says false flag. Could be. Shiv has enough of this. Says you can't just say false flag. False flag. False every flag. T- every false time flag. something happens false that flag. you don't agree with. <laughs> false flag. False flag. And that's all he does. And he just growls at her. Um, so then ATN covers the story, which I just did. Cut past that. Shiv is now asking if any of the ballots are intact. Nate says it doesn't look likely. So they have Nate's burned a hundred. They've burned a hundred thousand Democratic leading ballots, leading ballots. Spencer, what do you think would happen if this happened in real life? I don't know. On this scale, they're cur- I, I double check. They're completely correct. Wisconsin has nothing in the law that would address this particular thing, other than obviously the arson that they'd be punished for and everything else with respect to that. But from an election standpoint, there's this isn't a recount. This is a do-over. Do you do you do the entire state? Do you do just this particular region? Do you do just the voters that you can confirm were affected by this? There's no law in place. It'd have to be imposed by the courts as part of protecting their due process rights. And then you're running into the issue of that there are federal laws that require elections to occur on election day, and this isn't a recount. This is just the straight-up election. There are concerns about the whole independent, you know, legislature doctrine and Supreme Court's, you know, evaluating that and that whole Moore case I was telling about. It would have to go in front of the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which is presently more liberal, but it'd be immediately appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. I don't know what would happen. No one does. 
Wisconsin, please put a law on the books with respect to this. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, f- I, I'm fairly certain that there would be political will for a revote or at least an attempt to get new new absentee ballots to the people who were affected. And I can say that like without – it's like zero hesitation if this was – um, some strong conservative stronghold that support the same thing. I mean, you have to, you have to redo it. I, I, I will say two things the show says that I don't think are completely accurate is that the show kind of works in the idea that we've got no idea who those votes would be. They would have logged those the moment they came in as to what absentee ballots were received and who they were from. So they would have a record of whose votes in there were affected, most likely. And point number two, the show also says that they would have like, you know, three months of lit- litigation over this. Likely no, because the whole electoral college thing. They'd have weeks at best in terms of deciding how this would go and getting it out, getting it out the door. Well, I mean, they could have they could have months. I mean, I think that the thing with Bush and Gore went on for at least two months. Uh yeah, but I wouldn't think it would be a full three months or longer the way they describe here. I think no, I don't. We, I don't think we, so either. A period of weeks, whether that extends into months or not, it's going to be pressing. I would be really, really shocked in that. Just p- politically speaking, you you know the law. Wait, 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 you know, I don't even know anything about that. But I just think the political will would be there for whoever, who, whichever region had the ballots burned, all got new ballots and they all got sent in and, from, and we just deal with it. Purely way. a 14th Amendment standpoint, I'm 100% with you. That would be the most fair thing to do. It's just a question of who makes that call. It's the only body that would exist to do it would be the Supreme Court in Wisconsin until it's appealed up to the U.S. Supreme Court. But it would be important that there's political will there for it. Yes. Right? Because if the if the and, country and went, Wisconsin, I think there would be. In Wisconsin, if, I think there would be. If the country went, bah, who cares? Like, then I don't know. Yeah. But I don't think the country would say, bah, who cares? Yeah. That's 100,000 ballots being burned. Um, I think there's more, there's going to be more to this story than they're letting, than these kids are talking about. <laughs> it depends about how cynical this show ultimately is. So, and and I love the phrase voting irregularities here. So broad you can drive a truck through it. They don't, they they offer no evidence, of course, and you're not going to see Ravenhead jump on and start justifying it with actual evidence either. They can't. They don't have any. Instead, he just takes a spray bottle full of gasoline and just points it at the fire and just sprays, which we'll hear about here in a minute. Um, so Shiv is now asking if any of the ballots are intact. Nate says it doesn't look likely. Roman's talking to Minkin's campaign and they're openly talking about how the ballots have been destroyed. So Minkin's campaign knows that the ballots have been destroyed. Minkin's campaign said they're, they're trying to cross. To what would you say? I don't know. I mean, they know pretty quick, don't they? They know really, really quick and they don't seem surprised. Because in the same moment that Nate's people are going, it doesn't look likely. We're not sure. This doesn't look good. Minkins people are saying they've been destroyed and we're trying to, we're already working out the numbers. We're already cross checking it against the voter rolls. They seem a few steps ahead with respect to this. And that's curious. They asked Roman if he can help with the narrative. Roman very chipper just says, yeah, Yeah, sure. sure, Yeah. No problem. Roman's the only Roman is the one more than anybody else that is convinced that this does not affect them. This doesn't matter to them. This is, this is, but this is not even beneath them. It's irrelevant to them. This is just a means to power that has no ongoing relevance to us beyond that. So, yeah, an opportunity to work with somebody that I can, you know, possibly put in office and have that kind of connection to my own advantage later. Yeah, of course. No, no further discussion or thought needed. Have you ever disliked Roman more than you're disliking him right now? He's had some, well, my first episode was him ripping up that check in front of that groundskeeper's kid. I didn't have any other frame of reference other than to dislike him at that point. So, no, but it's bringing me back to the levels of the most dislike ever before. 
Not he's not because of who he supports, but mm-hmm. because of his just utter callousness to anything other than his own ambition throughout this episode. Yeah, it, he doesn't. By the way, I don't think he gives a shit about the conservative no. agenda. No, he's not a he's not a loyalist. He's not a he's not a Ravenhead. He just he's wants what's best for Roman. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, Nate continues to update Shiv. Roman walks onto the news floor. We over here Greg saying, apparently he's touching too hard for it. He's touching with. <laughs> he's breaking the touch screens from just too much aggression. He's touching too hard for it. He's touching with. Tom is upset that Roman is on the floor. Roman has asked for updates from Milwaukee. Tom says he doesn't know. He's upset about losing another touch screen. I'm down to my last fucking touch screen, okay? Shiv asks what's going on. Roman jokes that Tom thinks China is Hacking his tech. Tom brushes that off. Says they'd be more comfortable upstairs. He's just trying with every bit of energy he's got to get them off of the news floor. He's trying to maintain the very specific visuals that Logan previously contained. The Geneva Conventions, as he called them, is that he always would be separate from the actions of the news media. They don't bother with that at all at any point in this episode, particularly here. It's pretty telling that... I think a couple of days before Logan died, he broke his own Geneva convention, right? Because he went down to the news floor and spoke to them. And it was which shocking. Which is not something he it commonly does. It was shocking. Does. And it wasn't like on election day or even like, you know, a cycle. He was just roaming. And that was even still unheard of for him. He asked Greg to help them upstairs. Do you guys mind if I wrangle? Roman says, what? What do you want? Shiv asked Tom if the ballots are still in there. Pam, so Shiv still doesn't know for sure if the ballots have been destroyed. Roman does, however, because he's been talking to Minkin's campaign. Pam is yelling, Tom, she says the reporter's on the way to the burning voting center three to four minutes out. Shiv asks Tom to chat in a side room. Tom is telling her he's just going on and on that he doesn't have enough time. I don't have enough time. Yeah, well, she says it won't take long. Pulls him off. She says, I just wanted to apologize for some of the things I said last night and to give you an opportunity to, you know, Okay, well, I can't, I can't, I can't do it to that. I can't, I can't apologize to that. He doesn't, she's giving an opportunity to say, I'm sorry too. Tom does not engage, and he just kind of gives her a face of utter indifference. How would you describe Tom's face for this? He says, how should I frame my face? Yeah. Are you scared I'm going to blab to you and Madsen? She says, Jesus fucking Christ, Tom. She says, her father just died, so maybe I can get a little consideration on that. And for a number of reasons, I've been feeling off kilter. We know one of them, so I'm sorry. But can I get a modicum of? He says, sure, sure. She asks what sure means, and he says, it means you hated him, Siobhan. Whoa. Duh. There, there, I mean, Sarah Stuck does a wonderful job of just facial acting. There was just one of a couple moments where Tom says something like this, and her eyes just do things that are just so affecting. Yeah, she really does. And, and it, the, the, the moment that she really does it is here in a second. She says she's offended by that. She, she seems offended by that. She says, I didn't hate him. I loved him. She says, he says, well, it was sort of complicated, but sometimes, you know, you certainly hated him and you also sort of killed him. Tom, you're, I mean, Lee, I know you have hopes for these guys. Tom doesn't and Tom's trying to bury it right here, right now. Oh, these two are definitely, they're staying together for sure. <laughs> Shiv gets upset and says, you know what? Actually, I'm pregnant by you. There's never a good time to say it, but you know what you need to know. So now you know. And Tom goes, is that even true? Like, and that's when her face makes a thing that would put me to my knees if I was Tom. Yeah, it's like, it, he follows up like, like, is that even true or is that just a new position or a tactic or what? And it's like, again, marvelous actress in Sarah Stook. She is so affecting with the face that she puts on. And she's just, there's nothing one can say in response to that. She just walks away. She just walks off. Spencer, why was Shiv apologizing? Oh, I didn't really, I, I, I guess I didn't really kind of think about it other than a surface level. Where are you going for there? 
that maybe she was apologizing because she knows that Greg knows about ah. her and Madsen, and she would assume that Greg would blab to Tom about it. Well, so but, that but might Tom, be the impetus for her to apologize. Well, but Tom knows already. He's, he's listened. He's listened to her be on the phone with conversations. The reason that he you know, he, he he was like, I don't want to talk about that with Greg earlier, is that Tom's already in the loop on that. I don't think he's as I don't I don't think I think he knows she's talking to her, and he said the thing you're keeping your options open. Mm. But I think that. Uh, what Greg offered up was a little bit more solid than maybe what Tom knew already. Maybe, I perceived it purely just as she actually does want to apologize. That she actually does want to, you know, try to make, try, try to improve things from yesterday. But for Tom, he'd been building up that conversation for a while and it seems more like either A, he just doesn't, just doesn't want to do this right now. B, he just doesn't trust her anymore from their long history together. Or C, he's just dumb. And, and by the way, like even if there was no, even if Tom was fully in the loop before, you could still a cynical view of this could still be that Sarah, Sarah, that that uh, Shiv, Shiv had that fight with him, and then later thought, shit, I really shouldn't be on the outs with him right now because he has this information. He might tell Kendall, et cetera. So that might be the reason it, for it. I mean, that's clearly why he thinks she's doing it because he he immediately goes right to that. Because what do you think? I'll blab to Madsen. Well, it's a it's a brutal thing that you know he says right here. Everything else. But it's based on his long history of Shiv. Like he called her out, is that you always have a backup plan. You're always keeping your options open. How can I trust you with anything you say? You're just, you've always just existed just to play me. Cut to Greg sending them upstairs. Shiv is talking to Kendall and she's saying, with my situation with Tom, uh, but, uh, Roman asks if she wants them to have him killed. Can we kill, you want me to kiss them? We'll kill him. You want us to kill him? We can do it. We'll kill him. Yeah, we'll we got people. Right Colin. Colin's not working Happy right now. Happy to he'll, he'll, kill him. He'll kill him in jeans. For the first time, because this has come up a few times. For the first time, she's actually said maybe. She says, you know, he's he's just a piece of filth. And there's stuff I would like to tell you. But uh Tom walks through as Greg is telling him, talking about the kids. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get them to move. Not in an aggressive way. <laughs> move. And they blow. Please they move. Blow through. Can you move? Shift in. Shift in lands on. You can't trust him. Kendall says, yeah, we got you. I don't. I, I can't. Kendall doesn't like Tom. Now, and by the end of the episode, he doesn't like Shiv anymore. But I don't think that means he likes Tom anymore. I think to, I think Kendall's fucking out on Tom. Uh, Ken, Kendall's adopted the same mindset of you of you to exes, where it's just like you know you hurt you, you hurt the person I care about. Fuck you. Absolutely, yeah. For those that that don't know, uh, my my stated path uh, and behavioral pattern uh, that I've said on this podcast is that if a buddy of mine or whoever uh, doesn't have to be gender, a friend of mine, they break up, I'm the first one to fucking. With the pitchfork against the X. Mm-hmm. I am the, I'm the cheerleader of saying, I got, I got a team here and you're on the other side of this and fuck you, basically. <laughs> and that's what Kendall's doing. <laughs> uh, we get to see a great moment of it later. Oh, the, the best moment of the episode. The only, the only cheerworthy moment. So we hear an ATR reporter that is, uh, saying that the fire is still burning. No one was hurt, apparently. Mm. Oh, interesting. No one was hurt. It's almost like maybe people could have been cleared out of there before it happened. Oh, Greg says, these, uh, look at this conspiracy theorizing of you. Just, it, yeah, it's, it's maybe, maybe they weren't after the people, but they might have been after something else that was in that building. Mm. Greg says he's going to sneak now that we're all in here. Kendall, Schiff, Roman are near some of the producers. Kendall says that the story is who burnt the place down? Who's responsible? Roman, uh, to me, it always comes down to a couple old favorites. Back to the juice. I love that in a room of a conservative news network, everyone immediately just looks at him and says, dude, too far. Just like, just, no words are staged. It's a stare of it. What the fuck did you just say? 
My favorite was Tom and Greg's. Like they turn their head at the same time and they have the same look, which is get the what the fuck is this? We don't need this. Like potentially being caught on a hot mic. This is awful. Even Roman immediately reads the room and just says, "Kidding, fucking joke." Tom again asks Greg to get them away. Cut to Roman calling Connor. Conhead, enter Connor. Connor is explaining that Jared isn't picking up. Shocker. Connor wants to know if the ambassadorship is still open. And Roman rightfully points out that was a yesterday offer. Uh, he says, you know, he doesn't, if he doesn't make this, you'll be partially fucking responsible. You know that. Connor wants to organize a little coup in Peru. Put me in a van to Tajikistan. Could I be your fun guy in Uruguay? His rhymes are compelling. I got to say, compelling rhymes. But what's in it for Megan? Roman asks, just one of the best, or Connor says, just one of the best political operatives of our time working with you. That's all. That's just that little thing. Uh, Get back to you. Mover and shaker. We'll get back to you right there. More ATN coverage. It's 11 p.m. now, so six hours have passed. Shiv is reporting that under state law, the election cannot, what? When does when does California report? I'm trying to remember. It's, it's California's already reported everything else. At 11 p.m. Is it just Alaska that's left at this point? No, well, Hawaii's entire entirely another world. I think that California reports at 11. I think they they close at eight. Okay, you can look it up. But, I, I, I'll um, look up. I'll look it up. One second. Go ahead. I think that's the last big big batch of closings. Shiv is reporting that under state law, and I think that's why we skipped ahead till now, because it's the last batch of closings. Shiv is reporting that under state law, the election cannot be certified until the absentee ballots are counted. And how does Daniel feel? Shiv says confident, but terrified. Is there a name for that? Cusby? <laughs> <laughs> Rome walks in and Shiv starts to tell him what she told Kendall. And Roman says, Minkin says Wisconsin is done. That's their position. In my notes, all caps, who gives a fuck what their position is? Yeah, they don't matter. Yeah, there I don't give a fuck what a campaign's position is on if a state is one or not one. Like they they I love when they release that stuff too. Like the the campaign will say, "Well, it's our opinion." It's like well, it's it's the most conflicted out opinion in America, so I really don't care what you say. Uh, Shift tries to explain. Yeah, go ahead. You are correct. The entire West Coast reports at 11 p.m. Yeah, there you go. So that, that's why they jumped ahead till now because it's the last big closing. And then uh, it, usually it's midnight usually, for uh, Alaska and Hawaii. Yeah, usually you can start calling the full election at 11. Schiff tries to explain that 100,000 absentee ballots are missing from Milwaukee. Schiff says they have to figure out a way to go forward. Rome says, go forward and undermine Minkin's lead. So right away, it's self-interest. He, he doesn't care that 100,000 ballots have been burned. He cares that Minkin's in the lead right now. And if we could just stop, we could stop. This kind of, it's, it's very similar to like, remember in 2020 when, um, you had all the, uh, Democratic absentee ballots because of COVID. A lot of people voted from home. Sure. And we, they they planned for it. They knew this was happening. That the the Republican totals were red, really red, large. Red spike. Right? red spike, right? And remember, like Trump came out there and was basically like, "Stop won. counting. We've we're won. Done. Yeah. We're done. We got to stop counting right now. Yeah. Right this I'm second. Ahead in every it's time state. to stop counting." Yeah, and the, you know Pence was uncomfortable in the background. Like that's kind of what Roman's doing here. It's like, who cares? Let's just shut it all down. Minkin has a uh, you, Roman asked. That, and those hundred thousand ballots were by people that were that drank that bar they went to earlier in the season. They are not people that Roman cares about. <laughs> No. Oh, gosh, yeah. Where, where you couldn't trust the House Red, should I dare? <laughs> Shiv again points out the number of ballots missing, says every vote must be counted. Rome says, eh. Kendall says, I, I think I think she's right. I, I think she's right here. Think, Thanks, yeah. Kendall. Appreciate that, Kendall. Yeah, you're really, really stepping your foot if, out there. If Kendall would commit at any point, I would love that. Please. Please just have a view. This is me expressing this. I want you to have an opinion, sir. Kendall's tough this episode because you 
he's more frustrating to me than Roman because Roman is completely lost. We know but just the actions and how he's talking, we know Kendall knows better. Yeah. But he's just not Conflicted. willing to stop things and do it. Yeah. Roman says they count every vote they have, but unfortunately some are lost. Shifts says unfortunately some are lost. Meaning what? Fascist fuckheads burnt them? Roman's just trying to confuse the situation. Says it could be their people. Who knows? Your people, my people. Who cares? Ah, who knows? Blah, 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 blah. We, I mean, it's one of those things, but yeah, Roman, you're you are technically correct. We literally don't know. We just know that they were burned by someone. And that alone should tell us that we should, you know, take that into account. Shiv does the thing that uh, has happened that a few Democrats have done in recent elections. And it's really troubling to me. Where she goes, well, Menez is going to take Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Arizona, so it doesn't even matter. So he's going to win anyway. Please, Shiv, shut up. Uh, shut up, Shiv. Shut your shut mouth. Shut up. Shut up. Shut it. <laughs> shut your mouth. You Gosh, don't, don't talk like... about anything that's vaguely purple with any degree of assumption on election day. If you want to make me go sit in the middle of the street in front of my house and just rock back and forth, start prognosticating as the ballots are coming in. Like when people are in my house and they're like, well, you know, we're going to win Pennsylvania anyway. I go, ah, la, 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 yeah. la, just run out in the middle of the street. Every single time on election day, we've got certain friends that will purposely taunt you by just saying, oh, you know, obviously all these states are going blue, right? It's like, shut <laughs> up. Yeah. So she's doing that. And it comes back to bite her later, as it should. Uh, Kendall's just walking around alone thinking. Shiv says, if Minkin wins, it's the end of the world. So she'd like a little cushion. For Rome, it's all about one thing. He says, can we get fucking real? Jimenez won't block the Gojo deal. So fuck the guy, right? It all he cares about. That. That's it. That might be, this should be Pure line of succession for him. That's all. Line of the episode, right? Shiv says, who knows? Maybe he would. And she says, they can't let that be the deciding factor. That's not the thing, right, Ken? Ken turns around and says, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not cynical. No, it's it's what's happening. It's, it's I'm a realist. Where, where bash him over the head? Where is the Kindle that was that was you know just promising promising us eternal life just a couple episodes ago? Where is that guy tonight? Where is Waystar Jesus? <sighs> Far away. Shiv says, "Oh yeah," says the man who'd cut his own son's cut his son's throat and then eat him on the high pass. Kendall just says, "Well, we can all stay nasty, shit, Shiv." I don't know where that line came from. I think it was all that was unrealistic. That that writing was not realistic for the scene. I was because, caught off guard. I was like, "Is that a reference I don't remember? Is that some in- no?" She's just she's just calling him a piece of shit. She's just saying, "Yeah, you cut your own son's throat," like basically. Like it, it, it also just it came across as overly poetic. So I, I figured, like, man, that's got to be some actual reference I don't remember because otherwise that is just so Shakespearean. It's not realistic for the moment. Well, uh, welcome to Succession, uh, but yeah, that's even a- Succession at least <laughs> keeps to some degree of line. I think that was just inconsistent writing because in that moment she wouldn't have gone that low on Ken yeah. because she knows she's got the Matson thing outstanding and she's trying to get his buy-in to deal with the Wisconsin situation in a way that's amenable to her and Jimenez. She wouldn't have said this. It doesn't make any sense. And then, and then they just move right past it. In comes Tom who says that FVA, this is the OAN equivalent. Freedom saying, Voice America, apparently. They have enough vote reported to call Wisconsin. And also of Vera News, who are they standing for? Not sure. One one of the other very far right, the far, more right than Fox News kind of broadcasters, I'm sure. Not sure, but I did I did Wikipedia conservative media outlets to prep for this, and it was like it was like 75 media outlets were like primarily conservative. It was like, you know, there's always this like thing that like Fox News has to be so conservative because all the rest are liberal. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I was like, wait a second, they're being competed by the, uh, the right nowadays. <laughs> 
That was probably the case in 2000, but I'm not sure it's the case in 2023. Um, Shiv says, great, the maniacs. Rome says, they need to call it. They got to be out in front of it. Shiv yells, no. Kendall's asking for a decision desk Darwin. Then we hear Jimenez talking about the situation in Milwaukee. Hugo's watching him. Respect the process. Count every vote. He's so fucking dull. Flop your dick out. Papa nut. Do something. So these guys are just, oh, new, they're, they're lost. It's probably Newsmax. It's probably the reference. Newsmax. Yeah. News, Newsmax. Yeah. That sounds right. Um, Hugo, Carl, and Frank are just beyond repair. They're just broken people who just don't care about anything. They're, they're hoping, just hoping for their golden parachute at this point. They just want to be done. Jimenez is saying, Jimenez is saying that, and he's, he's speaking now. So the, you know, the Democratic candidate has come out to talk about the situation in Wisconsin, and he's saying that the call on Wisconsin would have, and he uses this, this phrase, which tells me this is going to go on a long time, would have no legitimacy. If it doesn't account for the ballots that were lost. Mm -hmm. So if he's saying, if that's the position of that campaign, they're not going to concede anytime soon. Darwin comes in and Hugo in this moment is a very frustrating person because he's reflecting a lot about how Americans or just people in general perceive politicians is that if you're, if I'm not entertained, you're, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And it's, and it's why I think it's why Trump caught on so early, right? Because mm-hmm. he, he, at minimum, the guy was entertaining. I mean, he, I used he could to fill love, a room. I, I used to fucking love Trump when all he was was like, like a billionaire who went on wrestling. Like I, I yeah. thought it was the fucking greatest thing. And I, I think that it's the Hugos of the world who were like, Hey, I'm entertained. I want to like that. And it started. I, I want to have a yeah. beer with that guy. Yeah. Even though Trump's never had a beer in his life. Did you know that? I did not actually know that. No, it's almost hard to do. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump's older brother uh, was a heavy alcoholic, died of alcoholism, and Trump got turned off to it, never had a drink in his life. Good for him. In 2020, we had Donald Trump, who had never had a drink in his life, against Joe Biden, who never had a drink in his life. Two teetotalers running for president. I looked up when the last time that was the case. It was sometime back in the 20s. Dur- during like the time when prohibition yeah. was being debated. <laughs> it was. Yeah, that was God. the last time that happened. Yeah, I don't know. I'm full of fun facts tonight. I'm, I'm impressed. That's a hell of a stat right there. <laughs> So um, Darwin comes in and Kendall asked him if the, he has a, a decision in Wisconsin. And he said, look, here's the deal. We've tallied the vote up so far. And there is a margin, a margin for Minkin that's significant, meaning it would not be – it cannot be overtaken by the uncounted ballots that we have. However, it could have been overtaken by the uncounted ballots which, that have been destroyed. Which so we're Darwin, right in that gray zone. Which Darwin, statistician that he is, has a very reasonable read in his mind – about what the the division of those ballots would be. And he's essentially telling them, if I'm right, those ballots would be enough to make it that that Jimenez would win the election in Wisconsin. Yes. Yeah. And we see that because we see on screen the totals, and I think Jimenez is up about 40,000 votes or something. Uh, 30-something. Minkin's up like 40,000. Minkin. Yeah, yeah, Minkin. Minkin's up like 30-something thousand votes or something. And they still have some uncounted Unburned which absentee would, which ballots, would which would break, which would break Democrat, and then you have about seventy-five. You have about a fifty thousand vote lead that would come out of those hundred thousand votes, right? If it's twenty, if it's seventy-five twenty-five, yeah, right. So that's what he's saying to them, but he knows he's this is not what the room wants to hear. Obviously, uh, Rome says, "Ah, exactly. This is what Rome hears out of that. Ah, we're, can't do it. We're ahead. Lincoln, go, go. Yeah. Shiv gives him a what the fuck look. Darwin then points out that they." Know how the missing votes were broken down. That's what you were talking about here, right? And then, then they get into this whole thing where Rome is saying, but we don't actually know. And I, you know, his point is not without merit that you really don't know 
what they were. You you have almost statistically significant confidence that like you do know, but you really do, you don't, right? Because you don't have him in front of you. Like so, it's not a point without merit. Although he's overstating it, mm-hmm. Shiv just eventually regresses back to the first grade and just starts saying bullshit over and over again. Tom jumps in and says, Shiv, Shiv, you sound a little unhinged. And then we get this line from Kendall. You fucking watch it, Tom. Loved it. Cheered worthy. It's like, it, this isn't keeping for Kendall we've often seen before, but he's the one that gets in people's faces to protect his family. And here he's here doing it. It's the, I think in a, in a hour of thoroughly depressing television, I think we had one line that made people happy. And that was Kendall saying, you fucking watch it, Tom. And he was serious. You know, I love the look from Tom. Tom just looks like he swallows his tongue. I, 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 it also hurt me that how many times people tell Shiv that you seem hysterical or you seem unhinged. Yep. Or you seem mm-hmm. out of control. No one ever says that to Tom when he's just straight up high on cocaine making decisions on the floor. But Shiv expresses some concern about the state of America. She, she you know, she, please take her to the fainting room. And I think that's the point they're trying to make because they actually write the – they have Romans say the word hysterical, which they we know later. in 2023, like if you're – in 2023, if you're calling a woman hysterical, you have to know that that's a gendered loaded phrase. Like that means more than what you might mean it to mean in the moment, yeah, I mean, if that makes sense. Lingual guidance, hysteria comes from, comes from the word hymen in terms of where it's drawing from here. It's been gendered from day one. Darwin again says they do not know Roman says, so do you want to just run your model, run your model and not bother with all the people? So you can already see the conservative talking point, right? You can already see where they're going to go with this, which is the Democrats, they don't, they don't care about you and how you really vote. They would just rather run a statistical model and just go with that. Whereas the Democrats are saying, well, there's a hundred thousand votes that just got burned up. Like we have to do something about that. We, we know that it would typically swing democratic. So we have an idea that this would be relevant to the outcome of the election. We should do something about this. Mm-hmm. Shiv is making the point that they know historically these ballots would be overwhelmingly Democrat. Roman says historically people used to burn wishes. Are you saying we should do that? What a Tucker Carlson <laughs> fucking line. If I've ever heard one. That's some fun whataboutism right there. <laughs> Just a complete non-irrelevant reference. I take it you've not watched much Tucker Carlson. Anymore, I, ac- I actually have because my dad watches it almost every – when he was still on the air, would tune in every night just to see what, the other, what other people were thinking. Because given okay, Tucker Carlson's so you, influence. Like most things, I think your dad's fucking spot on. I, I The more I learn about this guy, I, I really like him because that's exactly what I would do. I would turn it on and I'd watch it because I, I – and, and it's like why – if I have a friend who is – of the same political persuasion as me, I don't really like talking about politics. But if somebody is different than me, I, r- I really want to hear what they have to say, right? Because I want to fund- understand the other side. I've listened to a lot of Tucker Carlson, and this is a Tucker Carlson lot if I've ever heard one. Yep. Oh, historically speaking, well, historically, we used to burn, which is what he would say in the heartbeat. Schiff says, what the fuck? Rome, look, we just know what the fire, uh, that the, the fire that burnt the ballots, those ballots would have favored him in as Rome says, Oh, so now fire favors GOP claims mad witch. Put that one away because it gets said on air later. Cause Ravenhead, because Rome writes the talking points for Ravenhead. He was literally keeping notes in his mind about things that would look good or sound good. I had, I've got that question for you. I'm going to go and ask it now since we're on it. Do you think he, fe- he's feeding lines to Ravenhead? They straight up. Do you think he's sending, texting things to Ravenhead? Well, I know that we straight up hear it said that Rome Gave him talking points. So yeah, it, it's in text in my mind that Roman is just straight up gave Ravenhead his speech almost. 
Because when Raymond, because Raymond Head says, "Oh yeah, now they're saying that the fire is is you know against Ro- liberals." Or Roman something. wrote that. I feel like he did too. Okay, all right. So we're there. So uh, Roman definitely like this. This this like sort of let's take what argument the other side is saying and let's make it absurdist as possible, mm-hmm. and then make it as punitive and they're out to get you. And everybody, everybody's against you sort of retreat in our corners as possible. That's exactly what happens here. Right. And it's like, there's a, there's a number of these podcasters that do this, like Ben, Ben Shapiro, Dan Bedingo, like these guys do this where it's like the other side will say a thing and they'll go, Oh, well, the, what does that mean? Now they want to take all your guns. They want to take all your this. They want to do all of this. And they just make it sort of absurdist and hysterical. I want to use the word hysterical to describe these numbskulls. And that's what they do, right? And it's, it's part, I, it's part of their act. I fundamentally think they're trying to make a, they're, they're trying to talk about that brand of conservative media. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what Ravenhead is supposed to represent in this show. And I feel like we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't name who the people are. Like, or we'd just be like, the, I guess the, soft. they're pretty clear stand ins here. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. I mean, if we didn't say them, then I think we'd just be like sort of, soft yeah uh shiv asks him where he's going he says to take a shit you want to live stream it you want me to live stream it in the room shiv is asking Kendall if he, <laughs> he, wants to he is about there. to drop some shit on the situation <laughs> yeah he is i think he's actually going to feed raven headlines well, honestly. I, I wrote it down somebody says in the background roman sent talking points yeah yeah um Kendall says, I just think it's hard. And she says, but we know, we just fucking know that if the lost balance were counted, Jimenez would take the state. Then we get a Ravenhead speech. And this is wonderfully representative of Tucker Carlson, this whole, this whole group, these people that I was just talking about, this brand of media. It's a, it's a, t- I think the goal of it, honestly, is not to inform. I think it's to soothe. I think this type of media is meant to make people who already agree with their type of politics just feel better about their position. It's supposed to just soothe you politically, right? It, it is what capitalism runs on, is that everything is fine. What you're doing, it's great. There's nothing to worry about. That's what everybody's buying. Not everybody. You, you, you're, you're, I, you're being soft on this. Look, like, look at me generalize. No, we talked about that. <laughs> you're being soft on this. They're not talking about everybody. They're talking about a specific part of conservative media. That's why no, no, Ravenhead no, no, no. is raven. I, I, I would make a general comment about which is the nature of what capitalism is trying to sell. These guys are definitely playing that. That is what they're marketing. But they're tapping into what they feel like is an undercurrent of just general consumptive nature. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that like if people are making strategic buying decisions in the media market, what we have seen is that they don't want to be challenged and they want things that make them feel and, better about an already entrenched position. And these guys are marketing that on a political standpoint to a particular group. Yeah. And so we get this this speech from him, professional politicals who have time after time come up with, isn't this funny? With polls which undercount support for traditional values. <laughs> so yeah, maybe some of the crazies heard they were underperforming and decided to stop counting and destroy the evidence and just say, you stay quiet. So now he's, he's, he's not only said that the liberals started the fire as a false flag thing. They're trying to Cover silence you and your traditional values. Yep. He says, well, guess, guess who we, well, guess what we think was on those ballots. We'll decide. Yeah. So now he's saying that they don't even want fair elections in the country. They want to just override the will of the voters. Then he says, and you'll eat what's for dinner because they don't really care for folks who answer back or ask too many questions. So say they don't, they don't, they're, they're going to override you. They're going to do whatever they want to do. Shut up. Enumerate residuum. 
will figure it out and issue uh, you with your new government to march into your homes, take whatever we want in the way of your mechanisms of self-defense. And now he's made it about gun control. Tell your son she's actually daughter. Now he's made it about LGBTQ rights or the other way around. And then it's all just peachy, even though it doesn't feel so peachy. So it's a, it's a world, it's a masterclass here from Ravenhead of hitting of the, he's hit a grand slam here of, of talking points. He's, he's brought up guns. He's brought up, uh, trans rights. He's, he's hit every he's possible, up, you know, bingo he could. Flag. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's got bingo for sure. He probably has bingos and four corners. You ever play bingos? <laughs> you ever play four corners? Yeah, I've done that. Yeah. He's probably got four corners also. Greg says, Hey, shift. Do you, so anyway, this whole conversation keeps going while they're watching Ravenhead. So I think it's important to point out what Ravenhead is saying, the content of it, what the show is trying to comment on. But I also want to point out Kendall's reaction to Ravenhead. Stunned? I don't think he's a fan. I don't think he's a fan. I, I think he's stunned and a certain degree horrified because it's feeding it. Like I think to a certain degree he was still trying to play down how dangerous Ravenhead and Ravenhead supporters can be. And now he's actually watching it for a bit. And he's kind of scared. So Ravenhead then, continuing with his bingo so card, says that you can't go out at night. So now he's hit like local crime, dim soft on crime. Mm-hmm. And the new president is opening up his borders to his friends. And so now he's hit on fear of immigrants, immigration, et cetera. Yeah. So it's just all over. Conservative bingo. Uh, notice Kendall watching Ravenhead. Roman just – and then Shiv storms down onto the floor. Hey, question for you. When Shiv was walking out, did you think she was going on air? I was really afraid that she was just going to charge and throttle the guy live on television. I thought she was going to jump on the mic and tell him to fuck himself, but she did not do that. Uh, her and Roman are just down on the floor again uh, with another shot of Kendall alone thinking. Mm-hmm. Yet another way, one. way still up on the stairs, light, lying, lounging – not lying, lounging, but lingering behind, alone, staring off at other people. By himself, Shiv gets a call from Lucas, and he's confused. He's like, "What he, the hell is happening? I'm watching this." Yeah, and that that does harken back to 2016 because, like, I had many, not many, a few friends who lived overseas who were calling, like, "What is happening there?" And like, I feel like he's the stand-in for that—that mm-hmm. that Western Europe commentator who was just the looking at American politics, going, "What in the hell?" Uh, Rome walks by Kendall and says, "Powerful commentary." Kendall says, "I don't feel." Good necessarily about this room. Rome just shucks. Says, shucks. Uh, you notice, notice with Kendall because Kendall is co-CEO. He's not quite as, um, and he's a man. Um, he's not quite as dismissive of Kendall, but he doesn't want to engage with this what? part of Kendall that's go questioning this. See, Shiv you know, told him we have to have an opposing viewpoint. You got to put somebody else on there to balance this out. And he just kind of goes that exaggerated nodding at her as he just walks away from her. At least he responds to Kendall, but it's still utterly dismissive. But, oh, you feel bad about this? What you gonna do? Lucas wants to know if he has to be ready to be cozy with Mr. Scary. <laughs> He's opportunistic. He's ready to move on. And this is a very interesting line. He says, Greg is telling me it's getting bad in there. And that really upsets Schiff because she's looking at that like, damn, he's talking to him now. Like Greg is more in than their buddies. She realized. New- hey, Greg, new communications director. Hell yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Sorry, Eva. You're gone. You're gone, Eva, after getting all of that blood and hair and, and I, I, I can, sexual harassment. I can bet what Matson's parting gift's going to be. <laughs> Blood and a check for a hundred million euros. <laughs> and he tells Shiv not to break his toy. I don't think it's his toy. I don't think he's getting waste star. Greg tells Shiv to get off the floor. Greg asks, Shiv asks Greg for a minute. Here's this, this conversation you're talking about. Um, then straight from Ravenhead, 
He says this, apparently the Democrats are accusing this fire of being biased. Yeah, that sounds like something out of their camp, which, yep, talking point fed by Roman. In the room, Shiv says, just wanted to check in. It's been busy. So Greg says, oh, yeah, election day. Yeah, he's kind of a low-key smartass. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I think he, I think he's starting to think that he has a certain degree of power. He's right. <laughs> he just goes, yeah, well, election day. What do you think? She goes, she asked about his night with Lucas. She says, Shiv, I went with a drink with him. That's not my fault. He already can see <laughs> this is going to be a thing. And this line from Shiv, which is just bizarre. Do you find me attractive, Gregory? I stood up and I paced like HBO. You're only allowed to do this on so many shows. All right. I'm setting limits. I'm only willing to do with so much incest in the shows I watch. All right. These are my rules. Greg says, I don't think of things such as that. Great, great wording. He goes so formal when he gets nervous. This is so in character. Yeah. She says, you're disgusting, brother. You're not, it's, you're not disgusting enough to do this. And Greg says, this is, this is not appropriate. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, uh, she says, if you try to fuck me, I'll kill you. It's like, oh, he I says, get it. I get it. All right. And he you. says, my, yeah, yeah, that's what you're doing here with the attractive with the fuck me. Okay. Got it now. Um, Greg says, I guess my only question would be if anything did come to pass in terms of you and he, you know, silence is golden. Like how golden is there an offer? Okay. Have you ever seen the movie, uh, Michael Clayton, by the way, George, no. George Clooney, uh, Tilda Swinton, great film would recommend it to everybody. It's Clooney loves to do like one film that's just straight up, you know, like Ocean's Eleven makes a lot of money and the one film that's art. This is one of his art balancing films, but there's a similar scene of where a guy that's very mercenary says, I'm the guy you buy off and you tried to kill me. You're threatening to kill me. Why? Just pay me. This is, this is how I work. Greg's saying the same thing here. It's like, I'm the easiest sell you can imagine. I don't need much. Give me a token and I'll run with that. And Shiv can't express the humility or even reading the room or recognizing just, you know, relative balances, power, even threats that she could offer Greg anything here and Greg would keep the secret. But she can't do it. And the Republic yep, may burn the- for it. Yeah, this is the moment, right? Because later Greg does rat her out to, to Kendall and he's saying, just offer me anything. And she, for whatever reason, is not willing to do that. I think she's, I think there's a little bit of pride and ego that she's not willing to deal with Greg. And then, and then there's also the really, she's at a peak of confidence. She goes, how about I offer you to keep all your internal organs on your inside and I don't pull them out of your asshole. And, and Greg, I, my note, my quote, my notes actually say, I'm not sure that was the best move by Schiff. Dear Christ, it wasn't. Shiv makes two colossal errors here. Well, more than that, but two in particular massive errors in this episode. And this is one of them. It would have been so easy. So easy that she could have avoided this. But she's, I'm with you. I think it's just pride. In the boardroom, Kendall's watching and he's watching Ravenhead. Ravenhead's going on and on about killing diversity of opinion. And guess what? He didn't like that, but the left does, obviously. Mm. Uh, Rome asks, guess what? Minkin will block the deal straight up. If he wins, he'll kill it. Refer it to FTC, whatever, new law. So he says he may pass a new law that would somehow stop this. Or foreign ownership tightening, meaning that ownership of... You know, the air, mm-hmm. something that would be on, um, broadcast television in the United States can't be owned by a foreign entity. That would be like a new rule that potentially could be passed. Whatever. He'll screw it up in exchange for our support tonight. And this is just how brazen Minkin is. Him and as, and Nate would never do this because it's straight up corrupt. Minkin in a heartbeat gets me across yeah. the line. We'll do. Yeah. Cause Kendall says like in so many words and Roman goes in those words. Like, Kendall's floored if it's this brazen. So Roman says he's going to go get the human abacus, Tom. Roman walks in and tells Tom to call Wisconsin. 
<laughs> Call it. Call it. Darwin, Darwin and both, both Darwin and Tom are kind of on the same page. It's like, you don't have the authority to tell us to do that, actually. He says, ah, me, CEO, my authority. I'm telling you, do it right now. Right now. Roman says, it's not a big deal. Darwin says, it's not a decision he can get behind. The Wisconsin Election Commission, the Milwaukee Election Commission will go to court. Roman again says they need to call. Tom says, you don't make the call. I make the call. Shove that away for later. He says, you don't make the call. I make the call. Yeah, Tom that, tells that, Roman That lasts this. like 10 minutes. I think this boils down to the, how different the co-CEOs are being treated by the employees. Mm. Because when Roman says something, Tom's willing to say, I make the call. But when Kendall finally gives the nod, call it for Minkin, Man, he says, he goes, eh, sure, I do it. I think, I think it's starting to shake out that like Kendall's the guy with the real sort of soft power in the institute. Like it's, you know, it's not like he doesn't, he's not over, over Roman on the org chart, but he has more power than he does. Mm-hmm. Functionally, Darwin is saying he can't make the call until he makes the call. He can't make the call until I make the call. Come on, man. That's, that's the deal we had. Roman says, I'm not, I'm not going to make anything. I'm not going to make you do anything. How about we call it, but not call it? Because Spencer, I've got, I've got something I'd like to break here on Mangum Talks podcast. Please Network. go on. <laughs> I am a, uh, I'm I'm calling the 2024 election for Biden, but I'm not calling it. Not calling you're, you're calling it, but you're not calling it. Pending, right? Pending. <laughs> call it, but not call it. Pending. I'm I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go ahead and call it because you know you can call it, but not call it. That's exactly what he wants. Yeah, to everyone's gonna understand that completely, totally. If it even gets there, because it doesn't. Right? It, they don't even get to nope. that point. Just reported this called. <laughs> They're just trying to get Darwin to shake his head to something. And he, and he, even that he's uncomfortable with, but he's finally willing to struggle his way through it. And then we have the, Spencer's favorite scene of the entire episode. Darwin sits down, pushes Greg Sushi out of the way, touches his eye, gets wasabi in his eye, freaks out. Greg, ever the helpful <laughs> poor, Swiss Army poor knife that he is, <laughs> pours lemon LaCroix on him. Everybody screams about the lemon part of it. Greg, it's natural like medicine. It's not that lemony. It's just a hint of lemon. Great, great comedy here by Greg. Spencer, tell us why you like this scene so much. I didn't. I didn't. I mean, oh, it's like, what? It, 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 oh. it was fine in its own right, but it just, this is an episode that's kept in a very consistent tone. It had me on edge. I was like going up and down a roller coaster at every given moment. And then they threw in a bit of comedy that just doesn't fit any of that at all. The other comedy is worked in. It's blended in. This one is just straight up slapstick. It's it's funny in its own right. I get and I watch the after episodes. Some of the actors are very clearly proud of it, particularly the actor that plays Greg. But it didn't work in this episode. You were doing so great in maintaining just a consistent edge, and this just shattered the mood. Shattered, Spencer said. Shat- shattered did, means you can't get it back. Did do you like it? Did it work for you? It's it's succession. I mean, they usually have some. There's there's I might have a theory that there's one one like. Like a guy who used to write for Bill Ingvall is on the writing staff somehow of Succession. Somehow, somewhat. Whoa, that's a, and, that, that's a cut coming from you. And he just every once in a while will say, you know what? This needs a little physical comedy. We've got to work something in here. Because they do. They throw this shit in every once in a while. And it's just – it's in keeping with the show. Uh, so it, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't shatter anything for me. It doesn't take me out because it's, it's, not, it's Succession. I think what they're going for is – some level of realism, like, like, you know, during the, during all this, like stupid shit's going to happen. People are going to trip over stuff, knock stuff out of the way, make, make mistakes. It, it, one point later, um, 
Kindle just misspeaks during a pretty pivotal moment. He just says a sort of a nonsensical thing, just misspeaking. I'll point it out later. Mm-hmm. I think they're going for some level of realism here. Um, did, but I totally get your point. It didn't work for me. I mean, it's like in the Logan episode, they didn't have any of this in there and it made for an all around better experience. This one, it's like, I remember the episode before this, I remember the episode after this, and this is just a weird break in the middle. Yeah, they did. They certainly didn't put it in the Logan episode. And I think the Logan episode was stronger for it. I agree. Um, so in walks your boy Connor. Champ is here. Ma- Champ is here. Man's got an offer. Man's got a plan. He actually does have a good idea. He says, what if I concede in his direction? I don't think I've ever seen a candidate do this before. Have you ever seen a candidate drop out while saying another candidate is going to win when they haven't been declared the winner yet? No, I have not. I've never, never I- seen I can see the value of it, though. <laughs> sure. I can, too. It was kind of smart. Uh, Rome immediately picks up on that, gives it a perhaps-ish. Apparently, he can just speed dial Minkin, so he does that. At this point, there's no, there, there's no even attempt at imagining there's any degree of separation or independence here. He's just a Minkin operative for this, this entire day. So Tom comes into the control room, and he says, we're calling Wisconsin for Minkin, and they do it. And guess what, Spencer? It doesn't say pending at do any you point. you see pending anywhere on that fucking Never graphic? mentioned once. Darwin still seemed to think it's pending throughout all of this. But I never see a single label that says pending even for a half second. Matter of fact, ATN Anchor says our decision maker, our decision desk is confident in making this call. So he, they speak on behalf of Darwin and say <laughs> he's confident <laughs> making this call. Yeah. What a fucking shit show. Kendall is alone thinking and watching another Kendall alone shot. Look at that. Roman tells Connor there is something there. Sorted backseat fuck job. Connor is interested. Roman says he wants to keep the moment. Momentum. Another shot of Kendall alone and thinking we got two back to back. Cut to Connor and apparently he's been offered Slovenia. So he's going to be the app. One of the slows. Ambassador to Slovenia. Uh, G- Germany in six months, man. Germany in six months. Mm-hmm. Could be. Now, how about this jewel of a quote from Willa? Now, I try not to be too rough on Willa. I feel like she's just a normal person who just got sucked into this bullshit family. But I'll tell you this. She's, she's got, uh, she's got a problem with her soul. Mm-hmm. Like something's something's a little torn in her. She's she, she's she might she might not be a good person, even though all that other things I said was true. Where she is just a random person who got pulled into this bullshit with these idiots. She also might not be a good person because she says this: "I am torn." He's very uh, right wing. Which, if you're right wing, I, I don't mean to say they're all bad, but in Willa's mind, she's, she's concerned about you, this. She's clearly telling you that doesn't line it, up with her worldview. And she, but, she already expressed her friends were worried about this too an episode or two ago. Right. So for her, this is this is a big deal. It's concerning. But Vienna for lunch, Venice for dinner. Everyone in this show is mercenary. Every single member of this family that we see in this episode. Oh, sells their values down the river for the sake of their personal advancement. And as much as we like Willa, and we do, this is what she's doing here. We like Willa? I like Willa. I do. I'm not sure I like her after that line. Because like, and and it's not, it's not the, it's not the, the side of the politics. It's that she has a stated concern, Mm -hmm. something that she thinks is wrong. And she, and she goes, yeah, but fuck it. I'll do it because I get to have nice, fancy dinners. There's a price to compromise your values. Again, that's the theme of the episode. Every single, you know, major member of the Roy family does it. Well, and by the way, not saying she's worse than the kids, not by a mile, but, I am, saying relative. I, might, but I am saying I might not like Willow. Connor then comes on TV, um, and says that Minkin will be the next president. Cuts a Hugo, Frank and Carl. Frank has this jewel of a line. 
Connor was running for president? That was a fun one. That was a laugh out loud moment right there. That was great. Connor sounds reasonable to a point, and then he just goes off the fucking rails. Spencer, Spencer, you're a conhead. I'd like to hand it over to you to do a little recap of what, what your guy Connor says. I mean, he starts out fine. The, you know, it's like he's do, he's doing that kind of, you know, concede towards Mencken kind of thing. And then he just goes on this prolonged rant about his first running mate and just... Who he will not dignify with a name check. Not at all. Uh, and then, but had that woman not dropped out. And then replaced with another figure to not bear the weight of public scrutiny. And so the betrayal associated with that, the envy. Two jackrabbits. And then... I happen to be a billionaire. Sorry. Ugly game. <laughs> when he did that one, Kendall put his head in his oh. I happen to be a billionaire. Sorry. But just then blames America for not recognizing how good he was, basically. And the corrupt bipartisan system zombie marches on. But calls that to his friends tonight. The people, conheads, I salute you. And then the worst part, dear God. And America, be afraid, be warned, for the conheads are coming. <laughs> and wi- cut to Willow's face, a humanish character on the show, looking absolutely horrified at what her husband just said. And here is what I believe that her face is conveying. What? Based on what I just heard out of Willow's mouth. Mm-hmm. She's concerned that her friends are going to hear that. She's not concerned that he's bad for the country or he's going to do something bad or he said something ideologically troubling. She's upset that her friends might have heard her husband be crazy. Maybe, sir. Maybe. Uh, my headcanon feels pretty strong on this Your one. Your headcanon's pretty uh, pissed at everybody right now, I think. They all fucking suck. They Every one of them sucks, I'm telling you. Everybody sucks in this show. And, you know, the, the creator and writer, Jesse Armstrong, he told us, you're not going to like any of these people. But goddamn, if I didn't get more and more angry during this episode. It's taken a while for, I think, people to come around to this. But please, accept it now. The point of the show is they're all terrible. Oh, there's still, I guarantee after this, we'll get people writing in saying, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Shiv is going to win the whole thing. She's great. She's actually done everything right the whole time. Okay. Let's get to Shiv's moment of turning her back on America. We're almost there. Menez this can, then, Menez then gets Michigan. So 262 on each side. Woo. We get down to the final stretch. Including Wisconsin. Including Wisconsin though, in favor of the Republican count. It's getting good. Yep, that's right. That's with Wisconsin on Which is the old, side of it. Is Wisconsin 10 or 11? 11. Okay. No, Wisconsin's 10. Look that up. I, I'll look it up. You can continue. Now I'm questioning myself. I'll look it up. I can look it up in a second. All right. Alaska and Arizona are left. This is a bit of a problem because they've already called Wisconsin in one camp, and now Minkin's within striking distance. And if he wins Arizona, they kind of have to call it for Minkin. Even though they made a call, which wasn't a call, which was a pending call for Wisconsin, which nobody believes in. Dear Christ, it's getting complicated. So then the data nerds then think Arizona's going to go red. Kendall seems to get the seriousness of this right away. Roman wants to call it. Let's do it. Let's call the race. Let's go home. Turn the lights out. We're done here. Uh, ten, says, I don't ten you're correct, by the way. Ten. Uh, yeah. Th- yeah. Um, Darwin says, I don't feel comfortable calling it because if we call it, because we called Wisconsin, he's just fumbling. Rome says, we can't uncall Wisconsin. That makes us look bad, right, Spencer? Because that's why we do these things. Yeah. It's How we'll look, look. It's going to look great when we have to, you know, dull, dull back everything else the farther we get in. Because, you know, when you're in a hole, the best solution is to keep digging. 
Yeah, just double down on your problematic position. Just keep doubling down. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. That's what they. That's. They, they, I guarantee that's how Roman has arguments with people. Oh uh, yeah, never. Like if you, if you never meant weakness. Like if you fucking catch him in something, he'll just go, nope, nope. I was right all along. Nope, nope. False flag. False flag. False flag. <laughs> oh, Kendall tells him to stop. He tells everyone to leave but Rome. I don't know. Like maybe we visit Wisconsin because that was kind of right. Because he's trying to appeal to Roman's reasonable side. But what he doesn't realize is that Roman took an unreasonable pill this night. <laughs> and reasonable Roman is nowhere to be found. He's not in the building. He says, oh, you're going to big brother it. So you're going to big brother it right now. Like, like you know, when we were kids, if you want roast chicken and I want a steak, we always had chicken. Kendall says, no, Rome, you'd freak out. You'd tantrum. He says, I would fucking tantrum because I never had fucking steak. So these idiots are deciding a presidential election based on repressed resentment they had toward each other over their childhood. This is fucking unreal. Yeah, and we're, we're, we're running long, so I'll jump ahead with respect to this. But my relationship advice to the episode was actually targeted at this shit just because it rubbed me so wrong. Is that this is what they're doing right here? If you ever have a family member that likes to bring up shit that happened 30 years ago to motivate any degree of action on your part, you tell them politely, whatever terms you wish, to fuck off and walk away. But Kendall, for some reason, stays with this conversation right here. We're not really running long. I think we're gonna we're gonna finish a little over two hours, which is short for us. Matt, you, you, um, you, you got the relationship advice early. Yeah, Spencer feels like it's late because because we're record we're long because we're I, I, it's I was, actually I was late, late when to get we're here. Recording. Sorry about that. Oh, that's not your fault, man. It's all good. We, but I think we're, I think we're doing a pretty good job of moving through this one. So, um, yeah, this is the part that just, it's just frustrating me because yeah. like, and it should frustrate, it should, it's supposed to frustrate us. It's supposed to frustrate everybody, but they, they are making decisions on as a major news organization, what they call and what they call has profound, huge, impl- huge implications. Cause like, I don't think this is going to happen, but a could see the call and go out and de- just go ahead and declare it over. Go ahead and concede. Right. Because yeah. a lot of times we've had president, many, many people have conceded based on it, news projections. It will also influence the willingness of people to consider recounting these votes and how they respond to that. Even the concept of not recounting, but, you know, counting these votes, the process that was necessary to do that. You are setting people's perspective on their willingness to consider these kinds of things that are necessary to, you know, allow for elections to occur, for allow for due process for these individual voters. You're already framing it as being, well, the election's over. He's already won. What's the point of doing any of this? Kendall says, so because we had so much chicken, we were kids, I have to like the fascist. <laughs> so this is like kind of your your relationship advice to the episode, which yeah. is like you got the family member who goes, yeah, well, remember when you were a kid, you always got – you just say, just fuck this. Yeah, this there's, there's no, fucking done there's no point in engaging with this. Once they're, once they're kind of trying to draw from that position, they have no grounds for it other than trying to weaponize guilt. Don't allow that to happen. But Kendall does not walk away. Weaponized guilt, boy, man! If you could, pl- if you could just stop that action, weaponizing guilt. How many like Thanksgivings would be improved? In <laughs> have a lot more people enjoying Turkey Day, just, wouldn't we? Just have a little Roomba that wanders around, just white noising whenever guilt is weaponized. <laughs> yes, Grandma, please stop weaponizing guilt. Oh man, it's a lot of old people do that stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh my goodness, Rum says if they don't call it early. He wins without them, then it won't help them. Basically, like if he gets calls from other news organizations and we don't make the call early, then we're going to be on the outs with Lincoln, basically. This is straight up the whole, you know, Dominion information we got from Fox News about the degree to which they were being motivated in terms of their actions for fear of losing their audience to the right. Kendall says, we just call it. We call this. We push it. Maybe it happens. Roman says, if they push it through, Lincoln gets... Minkin gets it. 
Minkin will stop the deal. He's not fucking wishy-washy. He's a guy. It's not a mistake in the writing that the euphemism Roman is using for being someone they want to work with is being is gendered. Yes. It's not a mistake. By the, saying the, he's a guy, it's a gendered thing, and that's, that's on purpose. They're playing up gendered aspects and gendered perspectives and tropes heavily here in the back half of this episode, and this is another example of it. Kendall floundering says, my, my, my kids, the whole thing. Roman goes, oh, America, teasing Kendall in a speech for the ages. They'll probably put it right there next to the Gettysburg Address. Maybe let's get it on some monument right there in the in the Washington Mall if we could. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe like a like a, right in the center of the mall between the Washington Monument and the Congressional Builder. He says, well, it's kind of a nice idea, all the people together. <laughs> damn it, Kendall. <laughs> Just poetry, just poetry, uh, right there. I'm moved. It's, it's kind of a kind of a nice idea. All, all the all the different people together. That's that's the best he could conjure about wanting America to continue being America. This, Thanks, Kendall. This nation of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not vanish from this earth. And also from Kendall, all the different people together. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's let's raise the monument right now. We got to have people taking pictures next to it. Roman laughs at that and says, "What would Dad do?" A question they all bicker about the rest of the night, which is something that I've addressed on this podcast before. I believe that is not a great question to ask. Is it? I don't think that, and I don't. I think that for any family, I think beyond just what that person wanted to do with their estate, which is something you should honor. Walking around for the rest of your life, going, "What would so and so do in that situation?" Unless it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should do that with your life. I don't think that's a good thing. Even if Rowan's also right, as we talked about, he's just not understanding how his dad wasn't anywhere near as the brazen idiot that Roman is about it. He's dead not understanding about the repercussions to even things a billionaire does. I think his dad would land somewhere between what Kendall and Roman is doing. He would, he would, if he had a chance, he would support Minkin, but he certainly wouldn't be doing it as directly. He'd be uncomfortable with how directly Minkin is talking about things, and he'd be more decisive than Kendall is being. So I think he'd be somewhere in the middle. I also think that from his perspective, he would tell Minkin to make him call him is that, dude, I already picked you as the Republican nominee. You already owe me. What else are you asking for? Yeah. Rums is the guy in the pocket, the guy who's going to answer our calls, the guy printing U.S. dollars. Kendall, apart from him smashing the country to pieces, Rome tells him not to be such a prissy. And that's it. That is something that the right does. That is something that the right specifically does. And this is not a like both sides are bad thing. It's a the right does this, which is if someone who has left leaning has a concern about like the greater good of a democracy, the plural, the, the, the country pluralism is, is, you know, the, there is this tendency to call them like a, a very gendered insults, prissy, pussy, uh, this, that, the other thing. Uh, they, 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 you, you will you will hear a lot of that. The, the late ones, are, the ones I hear so often nowadays are uh, snowflake and cuck. Cuck is a big one nowadays. Bedwetter. Yeah. You'll hear that one too. Where basically they try to diminish your concern and say that you're just being silly for your beliefs. You're, you're less of a man for having these <clears throat> views. And what they really do is they don't engage on the actual issue. And that's what Roman is doing here. He doesn't want to talk about the actual issue. So he's just going to, he's going to use all these, these textbook misdirections, right? Mm-hmm. Here is a line from Roman that I think puts him in the at least fourth circle of hell, Dante's fourth circle of hell. We're getting low. He says, he says, maybe we could deal with a dose of that, you know, deal with a dose of the frighteners. Wine shit back 20. Oh, man. It's like, dude, come on. He, I want to think good, out loud. It's like, 
oh, maybe you actually do like this shit. Maybe you're not just purely bursteri about this. What the fuck, man? See, it makes me really happy when they say when when people say lines like that. Because then Spencer can't dance around it anymore. That it's just, so, it's just yeah. he has to. Deal my with it. effort to be unbiased attorney advisor is just shattered. It's like, no, you're just a prick. <laughs> no, that guy just fucking sucks. Is what that guy does. Kendall then says one of the guys pushed his daughter. Rome says, but she's okay, right? Kendall just continues. He says, if we do this, people are going to say shit. Rome says, we'll be in the West Wing. Nothing matters. Nothing fucking matters, Ken. Dad's dead, and the country's just a big pussy waiting to get fucked. Again. So yet another gendered thing. Yep. And notice, notice pussy used as weak, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a weak thing, right? Fucking strong, right? Yeah, that, that's, that's a man thing. Mm-hmm. Strong. He laughs, says he need to just get going, just jam our heads in the bosom of history. Cut to PGN calling Arizona, which you can't blame PGN for because Minkin did win Arizona. Yeah. Problem is he didn't win Wisconsin. Like that's the issue. Ha- or hasn't won it yet. Wisconsin is undecided until the votes are counted. <laughs> I don't think he won it, but it, it, I think that's. I think they want you to think he didn't win it. Yes, right? v- says very he, much indicating that Jimenez, if those votes had not been burned, would have won Wisconsin and won the election. That that is very firmly what they're saying. I'm also betting they're going to say tomorrow that Jimenez also dominantly won the popular vote around the country too. Just to oh yeah, for add sure. the yeah. salt into that. Yeah, I mean that's almost a given at this point, right? Like because in the I think we can count them up here, and since 1992. A Republican has won the popular vote in one presidential election. Jesus Christ. <laughs> in 2004. Yeah. In every other presidential election since 1992, the Democrats have won the popular vote. What a world. But you know, some people said they're voting irregularities. I heard about them on Tucker Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> I think you heard about all the voting irregularities. Kendall says he wants to – Wants to talk alone. Schiff says they are fucked. Kendall says he doesn't know what they should do. He's talking to, to Schiff one-on-one now. He says, I can't get the scale of this, what this is. This is the part that I think is not Logan and him, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think Logan would be struggling with the scale of it. Um, but he is slipping into more more and more Logan stuff. Kendall says Minkin's team is being very direct, which you can tell he's uncomfortable about that. Kendall says they should get in bed with him. I'll get around. Uh, it'll get ground out in the courts, whatever we say. So then he's trying to – because it, it's so interesting what the dance they do for the rest of this episode. It's like it's, it's they, not a big deal. Uh, We're not committing to anything really. Yeah, but then they'll turn and say, but it's really important we do this yeah. because if we do this, Minkin will become president and then we'll be in with Minkin. Oh, but by the way, it doesn't matter what we do. The courts are going to fix it anyway. It's the, it's, the, it's the mercenary mindset with an effort at trying to assuage guilt. Roman doesn't As, need it, but he's trying to offer it to Ken. As a man of the law, does it frustrate you sometimes how in politics, when they fuck things up royally, they'll go, ah, the courts will fix it? Yes. Yes, it does. That shouldn't be their job. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Schiff says uh, – so Kendall then just comes clean with her because at this point he still thinks that him and Shivy are a locked step, right? They're tight. He's, he says, look, I, I kind of want to be the guy. Like I want to be uh, – look at me using the phrase. Um, I kind of want to be the head of it. Yes. I want to be the CEO, right? I want to be the top person. I just want to be able to talk about that without it breaking the family up. And she says she appreciates that. Kendall says Kendall's being honest here at least. (laughs) He is, right? Kendall says Minkin is Roman's guy and he feels threatened by their relationship. He says that maybe, maybe that's pulling him away from Minkin a little bit. And then she goes into this thing of calling him a good guy. She's trying to appeal to his better angels to get him to pull back this Wisconsin call and not call the election right now. And he just goes, well, I don't know. Schiff keeps telling him he's a good guy. 
And she says, but we all want to stop. He says, but we all want to stop this man. This is Kendall. He says, but we all want to stop this Madsen thing. She says, yeah, he's watching. We we pondered last episode whether he saw Shiv or not. I think he had concerns, but this episode emphasizing he still doesn't know that Shiv has gone full Madsen. Yeah, she says, whatever advantage to us, corporate players in the short term, you know, Minkin's the nightmare. Yeah. Plausible in a decadent era. What a line. Yeah. Plausible in a decadent era. He says the bad shit. He means the bad shit. I think that when they said, is the nightmare plausible in a decadent era? He says the bad shit. He means the bad shit. That is the writing staff is being honest with you as they can be. Yeah. Kendall then continues to talk about both. He continues to talk about both sides of his mouth, right? Because he says, well, we can't make him president. She says, well, we can't crown him, but we can't stop him. He needs our call. Kendall is thinking alone again in the camera. Closes on him. Closes up closer on Kendall. Alone. Thinking. Mm-hmm. Kendall then drops this one. I don't think I'm a very good father. He's just so in his own head right now. He's not even. He's barely even engaged with the conversation. In the most reassuring best sister move of all time, she goes, you are. You're okay. You've tried. That's all we can do. <laughs> you're great. You're okay. You know, particip- participant trophy. And in a hundred percent Honest moment from Kendall about everything that goes on in his fucking family. Put this on there too. All of their tombstones. Maybe the poison drips. Oh man, that if, that right there. That's one of the, just the lines of succession. I don't care if it wins or not. That's a philosophical statement about where the show's going, or at least where the show the characters are worried about. When they die, put the whole family in a mod, the same mausoleum, and at the top of that mausoleum, put the poison drips through. Oh. Shiv says, you know what? Dad wouldn't have backed him tonight. Kendall points out that Logan basically picked him. She says, sure, but we throw the papers and the whole thing is in for him. And in a week from now, the courts go the other way. We're essentially done as a news organization. She might be right. Yeah, I don't know. that. It's hard to tell. Kendall then asks Shiv to get something from a menace to block the deal. And Shiv says, yeah, sure, I'll do that. You're a good guy. This is the opportunity. This is the chance. Kendall doesn't want to go with Minkin, but he wants to make it sure that he's got some other option with him and S. Shiv to both protect herself and also potentially to, you know, head off Kindle backing Roman on this. All she has to do is make the call. Just convey the information. Well, let's, let's look at it from the other side. Let's try to give Shiv her due process here. Why wouldn't she want to make the call? I mean, she doesn't make the call in my mind because she's committed to Matson. And this is in that she is worried that, you know, she doesn't actually want the Jimenez people to come out and say that they're going to oppose the deal. Because it screws over her and Matson and the deal that they got worked out. It's the only reason in my mind I can see that she doesn't make that call right here. Okay, I'll offer another opinion or perspective. Let's call it an option. I'm not sure I believe it, but it's an option. You're, you're she, giving her some benefit of the doubt scenario. Fine, what you got? Yeah, well, well, maybe she understood that the Dems are uncomfortable talking that directly. And she knew that would go nowhere. We've already seen it go nowhere with me. All the more reason to make the call. Well, no, no, I don't think she wants to. She doesn't want to ask that directive a question of a menace. Like, hey, can you can you do this thing on the deal? Because the menace position is we're not touching the deal. That's going to go through the proper channels, et cetera. So she may feel uncomfortable calling and asking them such a direct question when she knows that's not how they do business. Then you do that. They tell you not that, and you convey that back to Kendall, and you don't massively shoot yourself in the foot by not making the call. Yeah, you're right. Cut to Kendall in 
uh, with Rome, with Tom and Kendall tells them Shiv is seeing what they can get from the Dems. Rome dismisses that, laughs at it. Tom says, I really need to know what we're doing, guys. Kendall gets firm with him again and says, one moment, Tom. He's ready to rip Tom's head off this whole episode. I am He's not a fan. I am too. You're not digging Tom? Uh, no, I'm not. not digging You're not digging them. X? Not digging X. <laughs> I, I'm not digging fill in the blank here. Shiv walks in and says, yeah, I think there's there's something there. Roman's like, no, there isn't. Kendall goes, like? And she says, like, they, they might be that they're willing to think. This is not a convincing lie. Shiv, moment, 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 when Shiv is caught, she turns into a really bad liar. Well, she's too smart for this, right? Because if you're going to do what she just did, which is fake the call, you have time when you're outside to think about what you're going to convey they said. But she clearly didn't think of it because then she comes in and has to make it up off the top of her head. Like It's like just come up with some sort of – but this thing of they might be, they are willing to think that clue, like you can look at Kendall. I, I, we watched it, right? Cause I did my notes and the actor plays it perfectly. Of course he does. Jeremy Strong. He just pops his head right up as soon as she says that and locks in on her like, whoa, something's wrong here. But honestly, what she should have said is just, I called, he didn't answer. I left him a voicemail. That is utterly noncommittal. You made the effort. It's still hanging out there in potential. Right. But she can't do that. Right. Because she's trying to convince Kendall that Amina has said, that they would do something so that he will, he will, he will back a bit as in this whole conversation. So she, she's kind of boxed herself and she can't say that they didn't talk. Yeah. She, she's been not, not only as I think that this is a purely mercenary decision on her part, that is another example of just all the rest of them is selling out their values for the sake of their own advancement. I also think what she does here is just plain stupid as shown by when Kendall immediately just does what Kendall can do and just calls Nate. He's already talked to Nate tonight. He can do the same. Yeah. Roman says, uh, yeah, she says, well, dad would have respected the process. Roman says, dad did whatever he wanted. One fax, he took out a government. Fuck Lyle Sind. That's all it took. Fuck Canada here. He didn't give a shit. I don't know what that, I feel like that's some backstory that we don't know about. That's some Herculean tale of Logan's strength. Shiv says he, uh, he didn't want shit to unravel. Roman says he didn't, he did whatever he wanted. Uh, Kendall asked Shiv what Nate actually said. He said they would, they would talk. They would, they would see the, they see the arguments. I think it's encouraging. Kendall just watches her at this point. He's he's locked in. Something's wrong here. Rome makes fun of her. And Kendall again gives her another chance. He says, tell me exactly. She fumbles, right? Kendall then says, I'm going to call Daniel. We just need something a little more direct. And she says this, don't call him. Again, giving herself away, right? But at this point, she's desperate. She doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Kendall turns around and looks at her and says, why? And she says, they're uh, busy. And he doesn't even There's, honor that with that answer. He yeah. just turns around. Goes outside to make the call. We stay in the room with Shiv and Roman arguing, but we see through the plate glass that Kendall calls, immediately looks up at Shiv. Bang. He knows. Kendall, and Shiv is concerned. Sarah Snook, as always, crushes it. She starts to look more and more flustered and concerned as Kendall is walking around. Kendall then goes over to Greg. Now, my question for you, Spencer, is after he talks to Nate and he figures out she lied about that, why does he think to ask Greg about her being in bed with Madsen? Because Greg's the guy with all the info. Greg's the guy that's been he knows was hanging out with Matson probably too. Yeah, but why? Why does he think she lied about the Nate thing? So she's probably double crossing us on Matson. Hey, Greg, why does he connect those two things? Uh, I think he's already had some concerns from the prior night, and I think he's also putting two and two together about why she wouldn't be then marketing like I like what I said. The exact reason that she wouldn't then be then presenting that to Jimenez and trying to get that out of Jimenez because it. Because they're she's right. They're all rightfully figuring that Hernandez would put, would you know allow the deal to go forward, and I, I think he's connecting the dots for the various information he has. 
he hit on something here by talking to Greg, but I think it was more fishing than it may seem in retrospect. I think he, he, he has enough to put together a hypothesis and he wants to move it up the ladder to a theory. And Greg is the guy with the, Greg's the guy with the info to ask about that. So in comes, in comes Kendall. He just turned around and looks at her and he goes, what? What, what, no, what, no, 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 he says, uh, he says, you're, I'm a good guy, huh? I'm a good guy? Did, really? Did you, That's it? Did you notice Greg smirk at her as he was walking past in the window too? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Cause she, cause she, she, cause she told him to fuck off Again. when he asked for something Again. small and basic. Her two fuck ups just piling on each other right here. Yeah. And then he says, Rome is making fun of him in as he says, what else did he offer you? Unlimited social security spending with, with one weird <laughs> trick. And we see Kendall talking with Greg. Uh, or then, then Kendall comes back yeah. in the room and he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, you think you're a good guy? Really? I found it hard to get Nate. This is what Shiv says about this completely on her back foot. I found here. it. I found it hard to get Nate. So I summarized some impressions. So here's my, here's my un- rare, very rare segment. Now uncle Lee out there to the kids. If you're caught in a lie, you actually can gain some traction with people. If you go, you know what? I lied about that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I couldn't get him. I really. I, I just. I'm sorry. I lied. I, I. I don't know why I did that. I, I lied. I'm yeah, sorry about I that. I just really want this. I'm sorry. I lied about that. Yeah, man. You. You can. You can establish. You can gain grasp credibility back quickly in a conversation if you do that. She does not which, do that. Which is funny because that's the exact strategy she's recommending to recommending to Matt Sida. Let's get out front with this. Let's admit about what about our Indian numbers so we can control the narrative and spin it how we want. But she won't do it herself. When you say Indian numbers, it sounds vaguely racist. <laughs> it actually does. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> the numbers out of India. <laughs> yes. Kendall goes, oh, 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 right, right. Subscribers really on the subcontinent. How about that? <laughs> really good shift. But she lied, right? She didn't get anything from Nate. She didn't speak to Nate. And she's in with Mats and Rome gives her a, hey, is that fucking right? <laughs> Look. Yeah. That's how he looks at her. She says, he says, sorry, what? She goes, no, I, uh, now I've, I've written this all out phonetically and I want to do it because it's, it's fucking funny. She goes, no, I, um, no, I, 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 I did what we all agreed to that I got close to him so that I could help. Kendall, she's fucking us, right? Chivy, Roman. Wow. Roman is, oh man, just He's eating it. Yeah. He's just porridge in a bowl, man. He's just chewing this up. Shiv goes, no, 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 no. Five nose, and then six eyes. I I I, 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 Kendall makes fun of that. And goes I, 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 and she goes was. That's all she can get out. And Kendall goes, I fucking asked you some. This is where he fucks up. He actually fucks up talking. And I just think they just went with it because it's realistic. He says, I fucking some asked you some real question shit. Yeah, I, did, I didn't actually. And, I didn't note that at the moment, but that's true. He does say it that way. Yeah, he kind of fucks it up because he's, he's he's kind of hot bothered, right? Yeah. He says, I wondered why you look like a goose trying to shit a brick, uh, house brick, you piece of dirt, he calls her. He, he is not thought out what he's going to say here. It is just purely emotional. I thought it was well acted on, you know, well acted and well delivered. It may have actually been fuck ups in the line, but if anything that comes across is more authentic. That I know they give the actors a lot of free reign. Um, and I know that when they brought, they, they actually closed, uh, filming that Kieran Culkin stood up and gave this really long speech about how Sarah Snook 
was so good as a give and take partner for his mm-hmm. ad libbing, and he was terrified that he would never come across somebody who could do that with him again because he felt like that propelled his career. So he's giving her a lot of credit yeah. for for you know the spotlight he's gotten on this show. Um, anyway, Rome says, "Well, Minnick." Ken says, "Minnick," and Rome goes off, and so Shiv is trying to tell them. She actually drops this line, which is true, 100% true. Aside from all this, this is not the right thing. But Kendall, who spent three quarters of this episode being vaguely okay, kind of, just goes off the fucking deep end. Because he feels now betrayed. He's willing, he feels betrayed and he's willing to call it for Minkin now because he's mad at Shiv, think, which is just fucking stupid. And Shiv was the only Jimenez representative in the room. The only person that was trying to you know, speak to the better angels of his nature. And now that he thinks that she's betrayed him, he can't trust any of that. Shiv says she has real concerns for the state of republic and pluralism. The future of this country, Robin goes, I'm snoring. This is what we were talking about before. Where it's you, the Hugo lines. You get, yeah, you get this. Yeah. Um, Shiv says, it is real. Roman, you're such a bore, Shiv. Jesus. Shiv says, fuck you, Ken. He's right. So yeah, you're boring and you don't have a pass for in here is what Roman tells her. You don't have a pass to be in this room. Shiv says she's going to go public and tell people what they're doing here, which mm-hmm. by the way is a real threat. Kendall just gives her the double deuces right down the barrel. And uh Roman says, well, actually, he doesn't even know. He doesn't give him the middle finger. He gives his mocking thumbs up, which yeah. is almost worse. Um, Roman says, well, if you're just going to be hysterical. Oh, there we go. There we go. We made it up. It's like, okay, show. We get it. You've hit it every possible way you could. We're with you. They finally say the word. We're going to have to ask you to leave. She says, it's about the future of the country. He says, no, I think it's because you broke up with your boyfriend. Oh. And she just goes, Jesus, you're a prick. And he is. He's a 100% prick. 110% if we can go that high. No effort made to hide it whatsoever anymore. Yeah. So they call it. They do. And in the process of this, Tom turns and looks at them and says, hey, guys, not my call. Not my call. Your call. Ten he minutes. just said 10 minutes ago. He tells Roman. But as you noted, it's Kendall now. It's telling him to do it. When Kendall says it, it's different. And she, man, she even backed in a corner. She can throw an insult. She goes, fucking Pontius pilot. Good line. Woo, Good line. Great line. Washing his hands of it. Tom then comes down and says, they're calling it for Mink and Rome tells him, great work, great stuff. Good night. Cuts a yes coming up to Greg. I loved this little scene. This was, this was a fun, like, like the real people underneath things trying to, you know, yeah. react to this. And Jess is obviously terrified of Minkin and she's telling Greg basically like, she doesn't say it, but she's like, you could not, you could just not deliver the news and buy us all a couple of minutes here without the call for, without a major news organization calling the election for Minkin. And he doesn't do it. He gets his Roy on and he just walks out there and does well, it. Well, he's afraid, he's a, it's, it's, it's the mortgage defense, but he has, to, he has to do this to keep his job. And so he's gonna, he's, he's gonna go and do it. Did you note what, uh, Jess does when he walks away? She just stands there, looks at no, him. Oh, right? she immediately reaches for her phone. Oh, interesting. So, this led to some people online theorizing, is Jess actually the leaker? Is Jess the one that's been feeding information to the media about what's going on? Is Jess going to be a source, one of the sources about actually blowing, blowing the lid on this? And that would be, that would be perfect for where we think the Ken character is going because if he feels betrayed by Jess, he'd be even Even more more isolated isolated, and alone in power. That would actually work really well. So then we get the Minkin speech. Spencer, you want to talk about the Minkin speech? It's just straight. What do you think about it? It's dog whistle shit. I mean, it starts rambling and weird, not particularly good. And then the end, those lines about what, what, what would he say? It's like, I want, I want things to be pure or something. We pull it up. Oh yeah. Uh, He says, um, we don't, don't we long sometimes for something clean mm -hmm. once in this polluted land. That's what I hope to bring. Not something 
grubby with compromise, something clean and true and refreshing. Something proud and pure. That's loaded dog whistle shit. He, did that not come across as being racial politics there? God, yes. And he, before that, he says, I, I come begging for your vote. Yeah. Welfare, talking about the Democrats, welfare checkbook out, crowning the welfare kings and queens, which by the way, if you still say the phrase welfare queen, you know, like I, I'd like to come over to your house to watch the finale of Seinfeld. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and play while. around on your, play, play around on your gateway computer because you're about 30 years too late with that phrase. Uh, but it, yeah, this is it. it but I, the thing that struck me about the phrase, I, I can tell that I am more interested in grounding this episode in real life than you are. I think that they were doing a version of a Trump speech because Trump will do a lot of these, well, do, these dog whistle things, but he also rambles and he will go longer than you kind of expect him to go sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you don't quite, and he does sometimes I say this at work a lot. Like when people are in, in like presentations or talking in a meeting, mm-hmm. I say this in my head, I go land the plane, yeah, just land the plane, we're, figure out a way to finish this. Sometimes Trump tr- struggles with landing the plane. Like he just is sort of all of us. Minkin is struggling landing the plane. Yeah. Brevity is the soul of wit. The fact that he even opens with to my critics, I am not a demagogue. They're t- I mean, you have to say it. They're, they're talking about a particular kind of candidate here and there's some overlap. God, man, you, you, do you really think we have a bunch of conservative listeners? Are you scared of that? No, I'm not. we don't have. We don't no, have. No, but I've already I'm, lost. I'm them. really enjoying maintaining the fiction. We really don't have. <laughs> <laughs> I've done everything I can to get rid of them this episode. I guess. Um, not you though, man. You're you're sticking to it. Remnant says they made a good night of TV. That's all they did. That's it, Spencer. It's just a matter of making good television. That's all he cares TV. about. That's all Kindle then, started caring about until he realized the implications. And Rome says things do happen. That's yeah. That's what. That's what. Uh, yeah. Or Shiv says, yeah. things do happen. And that's kind of ends that whole sequence. Um, and then he says, me and you will go far over the road and into the bar. Yeah, Roman and Minkin talking on the phone. Yeah. 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 Um, Tom and Pam are talking about the legal process. Greg comes in. Tom, your phone is red hot. A lot of very important people are, well, a lot of very important people want to scream at you. Because uh, all the other reputable media is blaming him for the decision to call it. Well, and, you know, I guess the unrealistic part of this is that if, like, Fox randomly – not randomly, but if Fox called the race in this situation, I do not think it would pressure the other networks to call the race. Like, I do think that the other networks would just stand firm and say no. Well, and then it would actually look terrible. And that's what I think is happening here is that they've called it all the other networks that aren't, you know, farther right than them have not. And maybe because Jess leaked it or somebody else – they're all targeting Tom with respect to the decision that, you know, that this is why this was called. And if you want some like real life evidence of like, so Fox did call Arizona early mm-hmm. in the 2020 election, right? And they called it for the Democrats, right? Which prompted outrage in the Fox apparatus. The other networks weren't ready to call it because it was kind of an out on the limb call, to be honest with you. And like, they didn't. And they all held firm. And Arizona wasn't called by the other major networks for days. Mm-hmm. Like it took days for the other network to call it. Freaking close. So, so that is an example of like one major network calling a part of a race. They could call that whole race or one state, and the other network saying, "No, we're not ready yet," and actually holding. So particularly, particularly when all the other networks have a guy like Darwin there that can do basic math and go, "Uh, no, I if those absentee ballots are controlling." Yeah, and by everything that I read, which I'm by no means an expert, folks, I just follow it closely, like. It does look like the Arizona 
Arizona was called too early by Fox. That yeah. it was it was called outside of the margin of confidence you would normally make a call like that. That that it was still very much in play that Trump would have won Arizona. He ended up not winning it, but you see the point. Mm-hmm. Um, you then you get this uh, great moment where Tom, uh, Greg says that Darwin wants to know if he can go on air and do a caveat. And guess what, Spencer can't do it. He cannot. He cannot, cannot. do that. Tom, Tom yeah. looks worried though about all these targeted. You know, everyone talking about him making the call, his decision. He'll bear the risk of this. It's another. Tom always finds ways to be the fall guy. Yeah, it's tough. So um, then Kendall calls Rava and asks if he sees the kids. She says no. He says, well, then I'll wait up. She says no. And he says, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you at the funeral. We end with Kendall alone thinking he says this. Some people just can't cut a deal, Fikret. So what do you think he's talking about here? Uh, it, it's interesting. It felt like a very Logan talking with Colin kind of line. I think, as again, they're setting up the parallels between the characters. Yes. Um. Yes, yes, yes. I, it felt like in some ways he's trying to rationalize why he decided how he went. Is that, you know, he offered us a deal. We made a deal. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a shame that some people just don't know how to make a deal. I think it's a double entendre. I think he, in the moment he's talking to Fikret about Rava because he's saying she just can't cut a deal. Like I'm asking her a million different ways yeah. to see the kids and she just keeps saying no, no, no. But really what he's talking about is Jimenez who was – just couldn't cut a deal with him. Mm-hmm. And he, he was unable to get just any modicum of anything from the Democrats in the same way he's unable to get a modicum of anything from Rava here and trying to see his kids. And therefore he did what he did. So I think it's a kind of a double, and, double thing, and, play on words there. And yet that's the side that he's most compelled to, but he's continually mercenarily going the other direction. Okay. Now mercil, mercilessly, mercifully, there we go. Mercifully, Spencer. Well done, sir. I've ended, I've ended the recap. I have, I am done trying to get you to comment about the state of modern politics. In I participated in my own non-committal kind of way. You fucking danced around it. <laughs> hey, our listeners it, are very familiar with this. It's all, yeah. Insert, insert gendered insult here. <laughs> uh, shall I offer a few, a few quotes for your consideration or shall we do, uh, Roy the episode first? A Roy loser of the episode. Let's do Roy loser of the episode. As established early on, none of these characters win. We refuse to issue a winner this episode. Let's do who lost the episode. Who's the biggest loser of the episode in your mind, Spencer? Go. Uh, you know, he obviously isn't Roman as much as he's just abandoned any degree of likability or sense of morality. He stinks, but he does get he, he, like a he, material he win. Uh, Connor gets, Connor gets his, even though his speech is terrifying and weird in all kinds of Connor kind of ways. He'll be in Slovenia. Uh, I'm a billionaire. I'm a billionaire. Great, great. I'm sorry. Willa gets, you know, wonderful, uh, you know, breakfast and lunch options. Uh, Greg survives. Uh, so I really think we're kind of limiting this down to either, in my mind, Kendall or Shiv. And it's one of the things that we're, Shiv straight takes more losses. But Kendall seems like he actually sacrificed his soul a little bit here. So I could be convinced either way. I think just because he's more central, I'm going to say Kendall here, even though I think literally Shiv suffered more. But I think Kendall as a person is we're seeing how much suffering he's going through here with respect to all of these. Okay, split decision. I go with Shiv here for the obvious reasons. I mean, she played all sides. She was warned not to play all sides, and now it's come out. And she really only has one card left to play, which is to rat on what occurred tonight, which she will do, and that will cost them something. It's going to be a circular firing squad. And then she, you know, is going to attach herself to Matson. But I think the Matson deal is pretty much dead in the water anyway when the issue of the India numbers come up. It was dead yesterday. 
Yeah, so I don't, I don't think she really. Subscribers on the subcontinent, sir. There you go. Subscriber on the subcontinent. Uh, that's the issue. And I don't, I just don't think the Madsen deal is going to go through, which leaves Shiv sort of out in the cold. So I, I think she's the big loser here. I, I think that's perfectly justifiable. But I see your point on Kendall and boy does Kendall sacrifice uh, I, any, any hint at what Shiv was hinting at, which is that he was a good guy. I feel like we're really, this episode is again heavily setting up a Godfather 3 ending to this series for Kendall. Yes, he, I think so too. He'll be the Don, but he will be entirely alone with everyone else left behind him dying alone. I think the deal falls through next episode. I think Kendall gets solidified as the singular CEO of Waystar after Jerry plays her hand with the board mm-hmm. and Roman has to step down to COO. I think Roman will be COO or out of the company. And what we'll be left with in episode 10 is a alone Kindle, which they really hammered that home in this, just how they shot this episode um, in power, but not happy. And, and presiding over a corpse effectively too, you know, a dying entity that he doesn't have any power to restore. It, it, I think that will, that'll be, that will be both the cyclical, but also a comment on just their self-destructive nature. Which is exactly what Godfather 3 was, right? Yeah. Which was Michael presiding over this mafia empire, which obviously the idea of, you know, the mafia business model has not fared well, well. In 40 years. Yeah, exactly. All right. Line, line of succession. Let's do it. And then we'll get out of here since you've already done Spencer's relationship advice of the episode. Uh, okay. Uh, Tom, I have Sid running around town spitting poison like a fucking cobra, a fucking king cobra with an iPhone. I just enjoyed that image. Uh, from Greg, pretty monstrous. His crew does some unseemly venues i danced with an old man yet he didn't want to dance but they made us dance he was so confused i drank things that aren't normally drinks i enjoy greg's horror here it feel it feels like he's it's almost like he came across an occult ritual and he's still trying to process it uh from tom information greg it's like a bottle of fine wine you store it you hoard it you save it for a special occasion and then you smash someone's fucking face in with it god damn tom uh, Roman, my team is playing your team. It's only spicy because if my team wins, they're going to shoot your team. Uh, uh, Connor, uh, uh, Will and, and, and Connor. Hey, fuck, fuck Kentucky, Con. No. Yes, fuck them. No. I shan't become that. No. Alas, Kentucky Willa. Alas, vanity. Spencer's favorite moment of the episode. Ah, yes. Con, con head that he is. Uh, Let's see here from Tom. Is, is that even true? What, like, is that even true? Or is it like a new position or tactic or what? God, Tom. Uh, from Roman. Can we get fucking real? Jimenez won't block the Gojo deal. So fuck that guy, right? It's like, that is the, the cord he's running on all episode. Uh, Hugo, respect the process, counter vote. I mean, he's so fucking dull. Flop your dick out, pop a nut, do something. Uh, Tom and, um, Kendall. Spencer hates Hugo. I've gotten pretty negative on Hugo this season. This, this moment did not help. Uh, you sound a little unhinged. You fucking watch it, Tom. Cheerworthy Ooh, line. Love it. Uh, I wrote this one down. Romans sent talking points. The whole setting up the Raven Dead exchange. Um, Roman, Roman and Kendall, powerful commentary, huh? I don't feel good necessarily about this, Rome. Shucks. Uh, let's see here, Roman. I would fucking tantrum because I never had fucking steak. Uh, uh several lines from Connor's speech, but I happen to be a billionaire, sorry. <laughs> but honestly, America, you flunked it. I guess you're gonna have to find some other poor mooks paps to suckle on. 
Uh, Frank, Connor was running for president? Um, oh, this is Shiv and Roman. People are trying to do some serious work in here. Fuck you. This is about the future of our country. No, I think it's because you broke up with your boyfriend. Uh, who, uh, from, from, from Minkin. Don't we sometimes long for something clean once in this polluted land? That's what I hope to bring. Not something grumpy with compromise. Something clean and true and refreshing. Uh, maybe the poison drips through from Kendall. Dear Christ. Uh, Roman, we had a good night of TV. That's just what we've done. Nothing happens. Shiv, things do happen, Rome. And then the last line from Kim, some people just don't know how to cut a deal for credit. Uh, one thing to also highlight here that I liked is that this is one of the episodes that just really emphasizes, I think, Roman's name. Just even um, how they refer to him as Rome and Roman. It's important to know his full name is Romulus, who I like was both the first founder of Rome, you know, Romulus, Romulus and Remus, got to be the founder by killing his brother. Let's see how that plays out. And then the last, one of the last recognized presiding emperors of the Roman Empire, at least the last native Roman, was Romulus Augustus. So Rome being integral in terms of this moment and the effect it may have in the Republic, being both the founder who does so by killing his brother, but also the last and the final, feels poetic with use of his name. Yeah, a lot of good options here. <clears throat> a lot of good lines this episode. I'm going to give I'm going to give it a, a honorable mention. Some people just don't know how to cut a deal with regret. It's important. That's a that's a good one. Play, it's important. Plays into the themes for Kendall here. But I mean, in the in play for line of the entire series is the winner of this episode, which is maybe the poison drips through. God, what's a power, what a powerful line! What a powerful sentiment! What a powerful concern! Yeah, I mean, it's like you can't. I don't know how you pick anything other than like something representing the fact that all these people suck, right? And yeah. that's what this line does because that's what it's and, done and, from from Logan down. The, the poison is dripped through, and only one of them seems to have perspective on it, but he's powerless to actually do anything about it. Well, he's powerless through his own actions to do anything about it. All right, anything else you want to discuss about it, the episode? It was American Design. It was an incredible episode. And did, did you watch the trailer for the next episode? I did. It's gonna be a funeral. I'm waiting for Roman to fuck this up because Roman's never been more powerful. Roman's never been higher. He's never had an independent base of power like this that he actually feels like he can able to control. Every single character that's at the top of their game fails an episode or two later. And I bet Roman's rise as Emperor Romulus Augustus will fall the next episode. Do you think it'll be during the speech? I, during the speech of the funeral? I think you set it up well that he's going to say something about Jerry or something off and she's going to immediately just leak the information about him that just kills him and crushes him right there. That would work. I would be supportive of that. Um, yeah, I, uh, I think that the only thing I feel really strongly with from a prediction standpoint is that Kindle will, by the midway through the 10th episode, will be the sole CEO of Waystar. The deal will have gone through and he will have control of it. But I think that you'll get a line and maybe it will be talking to Fikret. They're kind of setting that up, like the deal with Colin, or maybe it will be he's talking to someone like Rava. Where he'll say I, like, something to the effect of, I thought I wanted this, but now it doesn't feel so good, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where it'll end. Uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a sad ending. Like we're not, nobody rides off in the sunset happy. It's a, it's a, it's a bummer of a series for sure. I, I'm straight there with you. I think that has got to be absolutely how this thing is going to wrap up. All right. Well, thanks everybody for hanging in there on a, a, a weird episode. I, you know, maybe for you, I talked a little too much about the parallels with modern politics. If I did, 
uh, and you didn't like no. that as a listening experience, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, I felt like that's what they were trying to do. So I was trying to to talk about what the show was saying as much as I could. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for checking out all of our stuff. If you want to listen to more of me and Spencer Gab, you can go to www.mangotalks.com, facebook.com slash mangotalks, or at mangotalks on Twitter to see all of our stuff. We are doing one other pod right now that we do on Friday afternoons. Spencer and I record uh, reviews of Ted Lasso, which is also marching toward its ending over on the Apple Plus streaming service. We will be following that until the season ends over on the Lasso Lowdown podcast feed so thanks again for listening we'll be back with you next week to review season four episode nine the penultimate episode of the entire series of succession i hope everybody has a great week see you then